Blog Talk Radio. ETs are listening somewhere in the solar system, in the galaxy. I mean, this show has an extraordinary reach. We're on shortwave. We're on uh, the Internet, of course. In fact, just before the show, we were having a brief discussion amongst ourselves as to, is the Internet conscious yet? Is it an AI? There is this theory. Um, I'm not quite sure whose theory this is, but there is this theory that if you have enough nodes, if you have enough connections, kind of like neurons in the brain, at some point you pass a magic threshold where the connections become self-aware. They become alive. They become conscious. They become self-referential, to use my uh, friend Stan Tennant's term. And um, I was asking one of my guests earlier, uh, just kind of randomly, you know, do you know? And he popped up an actual article in the magazine, in Unicus magazine, which he edits. We're going to talk about that a little later in the morning or the evening, or whatever time zone you happen to be in. But anyway, is the Internet conscious? Is it alive? Is it, is it, um, is it uh, Elon Musk's worst fear? Did you see the story the other day, a couple days ago, I think, where he said that the AI problem is a much worse problem than North Korea? Um, we're working on, on, on getting Elon on the show. Uh, it's been a long process. There are several people to go through, but as we grow in stature and as we grow in outreach and we grow in audience, um, at some point that's going to happen because Musk is one of the people who is defining a future, which is very different than other people are defining a future. We're going to talk a lot this weekend about the future because we're coming up in the next week or so on, on an event, which I think is, is going to mark a demarcation in that rush to the future. But for the time being, uh, at the top of tonight's show, Saturday night, August 12th, the first thing I want to tell you about, of course, are the Perseids. I uh, had a call a few minutes ago from Robin. Robin is not here tonight. Uh, she is back east with her aunt, who is celebrating her 90th birthday. Doris, happy birthday. If you're listening, happy birthday. Uh, 90 years young. I mean, Doris, she still has her red hair, her real red hair. Reminds me so much of my grandmother on my mother's side who had <clears throat> amazing red hair. Uh, redheads uh, are, are different people. Uh, that's another whole show. Anyway, tonight is August 12th. It is the night of the Perseid meteor shower. So Robin was telling me <clears throat> between the tears that it's all cloudy over Jersey. And she was out in the front, out in the back. There's a park across the street. It's cloudy all over. Um, and, of course, there's overwhelming lights from uh, – 
from the, the city, New York and Environ. So you're not going to really be able to see much of anything. But it was it was uh, it was cloudy, so she can't see. And of course, the uh, the internet hype. We live in a world now of internet hype, which is oh, it's going to be the best view of the Perseids in a hundred years and all this nonsense. No, 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 no. Because while she was on the phone, I took the portal and went out on our porch here in the land of enchantment under the gorgeous skies overlooking the Sandias. And it's beautifully clear. There's stars everywhere. There's high puffy clouds. There's a uh, gathering storm to the east so we can see the flickering lightning through the cloud tops just over the mountains to the east. Very dramatic, very exciting. And in 20 minutes that I spent on the phone, I saw one Perseid. One little Perseid, not very bright, not very dim, kind of gently cruising across the sky, kind of horizontal uh, over in the east against the lightning. Uh, one in 20 minutes. So it's not going to be a gangbuster night for the Perseids, although if you look locally after midnight, as the earth, as as the world turns, remember that old uh, you know, television soap opera? As the world turns, um, we turn from the night side toward the day side, and of course, uh, night side and day side is when you're approaching, you know, things, rocks in space, junk, dust. So they will have a greater impact on the atmosphere and they will be brighter. So after midnight, there's a song by that name too. After midnight, uh, the Perseids will be more spectacular than before midnight. Um, so I said, you know, you still have a chance. What's the weather? Well, it's going to be cloudy there all night. So but after the show, which ends, of course, at the one o'clock local time here, I will go upstairs and out on the deck and I will look up. And uh, if we see anything, I will tell you tomorrow night. I remember one night when I was um, uh, doing art show uh, and we were not in the Perseids, which is kind of a mediocre meteor shower. And the way meteor showers work, for all those that don't know, um, there are bands of dust orbiting the sun, just like the planets. And they're mostly left over from, they believe, cometary disintegration, the real comets, not the comets that are masquerading as comets because they're really ancient spaceships outgassing still into space. That's another whole show. But real comets, when they break down and they release, you know, the volatiles go away and the dust and the solid stuff is left, that solid stuff spreads out into a ring around the sun eventually. And then the Earth intersects that ring of sparse dust, of sparse material, which, of course, is orbiting the sun just like the Earth is orbiting the sun. <clears throat> and when, we, when it tries to catch up, when it's coming up behind us, obviously it's, uh, it's the Earth velocity minus its velocity. So it's a pretty, uh, pretty uh, uh, small uh, increase in heat until it gets to the lower atmosphere. So that's why the uh, the meteors on the night side are a lot dimmer before midnight than they are after midnight. Because after midnight, when you're looking toward the east, you're basically looking to the sky that's facing the front of the Earth as it moves around the sun. And that's a pretty hefty clip. So it's something like 66, 67,000 miles an hour. So when we run into junk on the day side or approaching the day side um, – after midnight, um, it, it's much brighter because the energy of the of the encounter is much much higher. So uh, that's kind of your backgrounder for the this evening on the Perseids. Uh, if it's clear where you are, uh, anywhere on the Earth, because we're on short waves, so you can hear us anywhere on the Earth. 
Of course, if you're really on the day side, meaning the sun is up, you're not going to see anything. But in that magic hour between dusk and dawn, remember that, you know, the dusk and dawn thing, you might see a Perseid or two, but it's not going to be this, you know, once in a hundred year thing hype. I mean, the Internet, besides being conscious, is also um, full of dribble. And a lot of it is overhyped. So um, do not follow the hype. Follow us. And uh, as I said, you'll see a few interesting ones, more interesting after midnight locally. And when we come back locally, we're going to be introducing our two guests. We're going to talk about things seen in the skies, not just here, but over Washington, D.C., a very important place to talk about things seen in the sky. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. And we shall return. First time I remember feeling like, like ringing a bell and I learned it off the radio. Sure, it was only mama's boo that I was drumming like a fool to believe it till the day I died. If you'd have plugged me in in front of all my friends, I would have set the living room on fire. I was alive. I was alive. Like a time bomb ticket, prepared it for the thunder. The other side of midnight.com. Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hogland and his fascinating guests. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Support the broadcaster to provide you with the most interesting conversation available. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com. And welcome back, everyone, on the other side of midnight on a Saturday night at uh, 1010, my time here in the Land of Enchantment. I have two very interesting guests this, this morning. In fact, this is kind of a break with our tradition. Last Saturday night, we did three hours with Wilbur Allen in Washington, D.C. Wilbur, as you may know if you heard the show, and if you haven't, I will do it all again, um, has a very esteemed career. His main claim to fame is he is a superb photographer at the cutting edge of photographic technology. He has lived long enough to have gone from film to digital to very high-end digital, to overwhelmingly complex digital with numbers like 4 million ISO. And we'll ask him what all those numbers mean and why. Because I remember film, you know, Tri-X, which was like, what, 100 ASA. 
um, ASA standards 400. for Americans. Uh, well, all right, four hundred. There's a voice in my ear saying four hundred. <clears throat> as, as as a friend of mine used to say, he was a physicist. Unless it's powers of ten, it doesn't really make any difference anyway. So, um, Wilbur ha- hangs out in a townhouse, a four-story townhouse, about four blocks from the White House. He has a background in technology. He has background in government service. He was actually on the White House uh, uh, photographic uh, staff for some time under at least a couple of presidents, maybe three, if my memory serves correctly. So when he tells you that he's photographing things that are unbelievable, forget the unbelievable part because he's photographing things. So we're going to go more in detail with the things he says he's photographing, which are basically unknown aerial phenomena. Not just ships, not just vehicles, not just clunky craft, but something that's much more interesting, something on the order of maybe gateways between dimensions. I hate to use that term wormhole because it's been so, so bastardized by the popular culture. You know, everybody who's seen Stargate SG-1, there's wormholes and they're going from planet to planet and all that. Well, maybe that actually is what what, uh, Wilbur's photographing or... Maybe not. We'll we'll get into into detail. Now, my second guest, and this was very carefully arranged because I wanted to do this this show. I wanted to do this subject twice. We live in a culture, guys, where unless you hear something again and again and again, no one takes it seriously. I mean, with all the voices on the Internet, with all the voices on YouTube, with all the voices on Google, with all the 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 videos and the blogs and all the conversation. I mean, I was raised in a, in a, in a world of three major networks. I worked for a guy, Walter Cronkite, most trusted man in America who was on one of those three major networks in a world with a million voices. How do you decide who's real, who's fake, who's purporting the fake news, who's doing the real news, Who's providing real information? Because it used to be the rule of thumb was that you would um, you do your due diligence, you do backgrounds, you'd actually look for multiple sources on stories. But now we have so many sources, we are drowning in data. The problem is it's not data. Most of it out there is not data; it's noise. So, part of our conversation this morning, we will talk about the, how do we separate the signal from the noise. Because my second guest, or my parallel guest, is someone who, of course, knows Wilbur very, very well, because they did a book together. The book was called Close Encounters on Capitol Hill, and then Robert Stanley did a, did a follow-on called Covert Encounters in Washington, D.C. Let me give you a kind of a thumbnail sketch of who Robert is before we come up to our next break. Um, he has a passionate interest in, in uh, modern ancient mysteries, and he's traveled the world to something like 58 countries in 57 years. Oh, my God. Think of the customs. <clears throat> and I don't mean the local mores. I mean the customs. Robert's quest for unique ideas and information has led him to research and write about many controversial topics. His ongoing investigations have been featured on television, radio, print, and the Internet. The Internet again. As I said, he is the editor of Unicus magazine. And I think he's also the publisher, and we'll, we'll kind of sort that out. Um, he was formerly a corporate journalist for the Honda Research and Development Corporation. Currently, he is host of Unicus Radio. That's an hour. Uh, I think it's weekly. He has served as a correspondent for America Morning News and America's Radio News Network. He is currently employed 
in Hong Kong. He's all the way this morning from Hong Kong. We are stretching literally halfway around the planet live on the other side of midnight from Hong Kong to Washington to the land of enchantment in between. He is currently in Hong Kong employed as a corporate editor for International Social Compliance Service. And if that sounds a bit vague, <clears throat> it is by design. So enough of this chatter. Uh, we got about two minutes before we reach the next break. Gentlemen, welcome to the other side of midnight. Thanks, Thanks Richard. for having me. Well, as I won't, you know, bring up my old grandmother's canard. Uh, Robert, it's what? What time is it in Hong Kong this morning there? It's just afternoon. Ah, my so time. it's high noon. You can't see a Perseid in the sky. Not at all. But they're raining down on you. At least they're maybe pitter-pattering. Um, <laughs> how did you guys meet? We've got about two minutes. How did you and how did you meet Wilbur? How did you wind up doing a book together? And think of we've got you know two minutes to kind of set the the teaser here. Do you want to do this, Wilbur? Well, you go ahead, Robert. I I, oh. I have to say you were the one who led the lead way on this this particular story. Yeah, you, Wilbur was hitting brick walls everywhere. And, and that includes mainstream media since he had worked for ABC News for a number of years prior to taking those photographs. After striking out with the mainstream media, he went to um, the UFO community and was rejected, unfortunately, uh, for whatever reason. Um, Daryl Sims was the person, one of the people that Wilbur contacted. Mm, and, I know Daryl. He's, and, he's in, and, yeah, I think he's in Texas. Yes, he is. He's a private investigator, formerly a military police officer. Um, allegedly had been tasked to work for the CIA at some point. So, uh, but he's the one that sent me, he forwarded me an email from Wilbur with photographs that Wilbur took at the U S Capitol, July 16th, 2002. And he asked me, he said, are, do you think these are real? And obviously in the day and age of Photoshop, I had no idea. I mean, <laughs> and, and fortunately Wilbur's contact information was there. We've been talking ever since that was, um, spring of 2005. Fantastic. Okay, hold it there. We're at uh, almost 20 after the hour. You're on the other side of midnight. My two guests this morning, Robert Stanley and Wilbur Allen. And we're going to be talking about things that go bump in the night, particularly after midnight, if you want to see the Perseids. The Perseids there are to see here on the night side of the Earth, facing the dawn skies. Look east, look up, look toward the constellation of Perseus, and we shall return. The other side of midnight.com. Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hogland and his fascinating guests. Support the broadcast and don't miss another groundbreaking conversation. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. 
Search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side is midnight.com. Again, look toward the east, look toward the dawn skies, and you may see some Perseids. Uh, Wilbur actually is, is, is trying to record, you know, photographically what's going on over the uh, nation's capital. And Wilbur, you just said, hey, it's, um, it's very cloudy, so you're not seeing anything above the atmosphere. Not at all. It's, it's so overcast here, it would be impossible to see anything um, above the cloud ceiling. Ah, that's a shame. Well, you, you use that famous term, Murphy's Law. And uh, it's it's cloudy in D.C. It's cloudy in New Jersey. It's cloudy. Uh, Tom, uh, for you, there in Maine, it's also cloudy, right? This is Tom Barner, our chief engineer, who has this incredible musical background. So it's Tom's selections that go on the bumpers. So when you hear After Midnight, apropos of our conversations, a word to look for Perseids, that was uh, that was Tom picking yeah, up his mm-hmm. vast archive. Yeah, now I'm back on the audience. Okay. Just the right, just the right uh, tune. Okay, so All right. um, yeah, here we go. I'm out. Robert, um, let me start with you. So, through Daryl, uh, UFO researcher, ex-military in Texas, a private investigator, you reached out uh, to Wilbur, and you encountered a most remarkable story. So, why don't we start there? Okay, sure. As I said, that was the spring of 2005, and um, in the email that Daryl forwarded to me was the contact information for Wilbur Allen, and so I just called him, and we started talking, and we haven't stopped talking and communicating through emails (laughs) since. It's one of those deals, and um, I had no idea where it was going. I just felt bad that his, I mean, because he made it really clear to me what his background was, and also that the photographs couldn't be photoshopped because they were, it's uh, analog 35 millimeter film, actually slide film, by the way, that he developed himself. So he not only took the pictures, he developed, he developed it himself. So I got back to Daryl and I said, look, this guy's got a really interesting story. These, I don't think these photos are uh, uh, fake. And um, besides these now, guys, wait, Hang on, hang on, hang on. Yeah. Why did you, have, having never met, having never known this guy, yeah. what, what gave you the confidence to say to Daryl, this looks legit? Um, well, first of all, most people, when they fake things like that, they, they use, they try to make it look like Hollywood, you know, where there's flying 
uh, discs, things like that, that are very clear. When in fact, in the military, this is in the public record, the military who has investigated this knows that the field propulsion system always uh, clouds around the craft. So you typically can't see the skin of the craft. And that's what was showing in Wilbur's photographs. So, and I already knew that, but I was going into this, I was very intrigued by his backstory, which is having a, a very, as you said, a credential career uh, as a professional photographer, mainly in Washington, D.C., not entirely, but also that he comes from a very well-respected military family uh, that has served up to the highest levels of the U.S. military. And that got my attention because uh, I couldn't understand why he would be faking this. More importantly, though, as I said, there's negatives or positives, I guess, because when you take a, 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 what do you call it? film, slide film, <laughs> and, you, and you convert it, well, you convert it, right? It becomes a positive goes from negative to positive. In, in any case, he had the analog physical evidence uh, of the event. So we're not, we're just looking at some sort of digital thing. And so when I told Daryl this, he's like, well, Jesus, Robert, you, you, you got to get them analyzed. You got to have those negatives analyzed. So then I asked Wilbur, is that, would you be okay with that? And he said, well, yeah, but I'm not handing these over to anybody. I, he says, I'll stand there in the room while somebody uh, professional examines them, which he did. And which he actually recorded the whole thing. And I actually spoke to the guy afterwards, the uh, the film technician there in Washington, D.C. Um, was that Ross camera, Will? Or what was it? It was, it was Pen, Pen camera. camera. Pen camera, sorry. And his name was Ross, somebody, I think. No, Mark it Rossoff. was um, uh, yeah. Wasn't it Mark Rossoff? Mark, Mark, he, Mark Rossoff, and he passed yeah. away two years ago. Oh, shoot. Um, so, so anyway, backstory on all this is that um, – Mr. Rossoff looked at at the negatives on a light box through a loop and determined that there was no uh, tampering with the negatives. Now, the way that professionals do that is they look for discontinuities in what's called film grain. Yep. If you magnify film big enough, you get these little speckles that are actually the silver in the emulsion. And if if the, if the, if the film has been tampered with, You'll see edges and discontinuities in that film grain. If it hasn't, it's seamless. It all melds together. So that's one thing they're looking for to see if something has been uh, done differently, like images have been superimposed or whatever. So he was able to establish by his expertise that, that Wilbur's film was untampered. Correct. But he he was a little nervous about the whole thing. He said, I don't want to go on the record with this. I'm not saying these are UFOs. And I told him, look, it's okay. You, you got nothing to worry about. Okay. We're not saying that you said anything other than these are authentic. And then he calmed down and he gave us permission to use his name. Cause it's kind of an important part of the story, actually the provenance of how not only Wilbur took these, but then they were analyzed independently. And then I, at that point I said, okay, look, uh, I, I will publish your photographs with a brief article about who you are and how, how you came to take these pictures, which I did. I published it not only on, my, on the Unicus Magazine website, but um, also in Nexus Magazine. Uh, I've known Duncan Rhodes for years, and so he wanted to do this. So he, Nexus is out of Australia, but it's published in, I think at the time, it was like seven or eight countries. So he published those photographs, and the same, the same week that I published all that, um, I was visited by an unmarked black military helicopter at my home in Torrance, California. Now, wait, wait, wait. You told nobody you were in this conversation – Oh, actually, I did. No, in order to do the article, for some reason, I felt compelled to contact the U.S. Capitol Police and at least give them a chance to make a statement on the record 
about okay. the fact, because I didn't want to blindside them. I, I, I have a very high regard for a law enforcement and military. Well, it's I know just it's good journalistic practice to basically yeah, alert I, your subject. So I, I, true, but I also I feel I felt that they were in a weird situation. And part of this, the reason I contacted them uh, was that Wilbur had told me as part of the backstory for this is these, or I should say the aftermath. After he took the pictures, he went to the U.S. Capitol Police and gave them copies of the photos and said, you know, uh, are you <laughs> if you're not aware of this, you should be. And they, according to Will. They were very grateful. The detective division of the U.S. Capitol Police was given a copy of the events at take, as taken by Wilbur's cameras uh, at the time he was using high-end. Uh, I think he, Wilbur, you said those were on loan, right? The high-end Nikon. No, no, I had a, I had a, a D5. I'm not a D5, rather, but an F5 yeah. and F100s. They were film cameras, state of the art. Okay, but the lenses, I guess, and something. You said something else. You had sometimes you had access to. Oh, I had a 300-228 and a 600-millimeter F4 that was lent to me by Nikon. And I okay, so very expensive. Yeah. yeah, pro pro equipment. <laughs> it's all pro equipment, okay? Uh, and so uh, it just so happened that Wilbur ha- was doing a freelance job that night that he took those pictures. It was completely unintentional that he captured these the events. Um, so, but... As I said, and we'll, hang on, hang on. Wilbur, for, for the audience that may have missed last week, when, when did this all occur? July 16th, 2002. Mm, July. We're going to talk about July and the week of the 16th because, Robert, I don't know whether you're up on this, but that's an incredibly important sequence of, course. of the Trinity site. <laughs> well, among other things, but it's even oh it's even more intriguing than that. Okay, please. And, and, and it may be telling us who we're dealing with. Okay. But let's not get ahead of our story. So you okay. did your due diligence. You let the Capitol Police know. You published the right. articles. You yep. connected with, with with Duncan at uh, Nexus, which is published out of Australia. Correct. And then suddenly you get a visit by a black helicopter. Yeah, it came to the house. I was in my studio. Thank God, my wife and son. Where was your home. Where was your Where was your house then? Torrance, California. Oh. And um. Uh, when it came into the neighborhood, I didn't pay any attention until it came. It would, I heard it coming. It was very low and loud, but it came literally right to my house and started doing circles over my house under 300 feet, shaking the entire house. So naturally, he wanted you I, to know. Well, God, yes. And I came, I came outside, but when I stepped out my front door, it was literally hovering over my driveway. It stopped. It stopped circling, and it was hovering over my driveway. My mouth was agape, and I'm looking at this thing, thinking, "What in the hell are these guys doing?" I do didn't you even, know? Do you know what kind of helicopter? Uh, it's single rotor. I mean, it's okay. It's the typical black helicopter. I forget what it's called. But, well, there um, were there were the the one we've seen all over Vietnam, the uh, Bell Hueys. Yeah, yeah the Bell Huey. Hueys, it's yeah. like that. It's it was a little more modern than that, though. Hmm. It was a little more modern than that, and it, like but I said, no oh, markings no, well, that I could see. I was told later that there are markings on it, but you have to go up really close to it, and some sometimes it helps if you have like an ultraviolet light. It's it's very tricky. They they do have markings, but we can't see them anyway. The the other thing was weird is that the all the windows were tinted. Mm. And so, so I mean, because I was close enough to see who's in there. If the windows hadn't been t- tinted, and I knew they could see me because I walked out on the driveway, I, w- I could have hit that thing with a rock mm. that low. And it was so loud. I mean, and I'm standing there going, "What in the hell are these guys doing?" They, they, and then I, uh, they. Well, started- wait, 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 hang on, hang on. Given your yeah. background, 
obviously, if a helicopter shows up after you published a major UFO story <laughs> over the, in the nation's capital, I yeah. would think you would have said, oh, they're here in response to what I did. Afterwards, Richard, because when it happened, I wasn't expecting this whatsoever. When it happened, it really caught me by surprise. When I saw them, and I mean literally face-to-face, then they – that was very brief. Then they moved in such a manner that they went down my street at, at the height just above the telephone poles. That's how low they were, okay? They went down the street. I mean like they're cruising my street. They go down, and they turn around, and that's when I, I sprinted in the house. I grabbed the point-and-shoot camera, ah. and, and as they came directly back up the street – I mean this was an absolute show of force, trying to intimidate me or def- some sort of defiant act. But as they were cruising back up my street, that's when I caught a single shot of them, which is on my website. Can we have a and link that was, to it? Well, uh, yeah, it's on the, in the free DC UFO photos uh, link on your page there. Uh, I'll send it to you. I'll, I'll, yeah, send, uh, it, send it to Kinthea so she can put it up on the site. Uh, okay, okay, okay. Here's the thing. is That, that was July of 2005 is when I, I published it like on the spot of to coincide with the sort of some so-called anniversary of Will taking those pictures. Okay. All right. Unintended consequences. Uh, they were tr- Whatever they were trying to do, it got my curiosity up into the stratosphere. And I said, wait a second, if there's nothing going on here, why are they acting? Why are they reacting like this to my article? Cause that after I realized, Holy crap, that was, there's gotta be a correlation. Then I realized too that, Oh wow. They are really concerned about what I'm doing. Which See, is weird. All right, let me, let me stop you there. Um, you've been in this field a long time. You were well mm-hmm. known. You've been publishing for decades on this kind of stuff. Yeah. Why would black ops or, you know, secret groups or whatever, you know, alphabet agency we're, we're dealing with, why would they want to come out of the closet and make a big blankety blank deal about this? Yeah. Given your background, given that all it's going to do is give you more added info to publish another article. In other words, it almost seems like it was an inverse. I know that you know that I know that you know. They were <laughs> emphasizing the importance of what you were doing. And inversely, in reverse psychology, they were trying to make you do more. You may be right about that. Uh, I, at the time, I didn't really think of it that way. But yeah, in retrospect, you're probably right. Um, if you know anything about Nick Redfern's studies of the um, – uh, oh, God, I just blanked on it. It's a group that studies this for like uh, DARPA. Mm-hmm. There, there is a faction within our government that that uh, that does know about this and is very concerned about the UFO activity. However, they cannot, at least what they told me through various channels, they cannot come on the record because the public's reaction would be adverse, to say the least. So and we're they don't going want back to, be to Brookings. Down. They're basically essentially quoting yes. Brookings. Yeah. Yes, and Wilbur's bumped into this too with a uh, high-level people within Podesta's circle that that this is, they're still operating under that paranoia of the the Brookings report from 50 something, right? Mm, 1959. Yeah. Yeah. Zero I was born. Okay. So you've managed to get a shot. Uh, You're going to get it during the next break. Yeah. I'll get it. You can see it. We'll post it under your section tonight and radio with pictures. Okay. And um, uh, moving on from there, what, what did you do next? 
I started to dig into, I mean, I knew about 1952. I mean, Wilbur's event was 2002. It was actually multiple events he captured, but we'll stick with what happened July 16th as the primary thing. Uh, so I started to look into the public record of uh, UFO activity in Washington, D.C. Never done that before. I was well aware of 1952, uh, at least I thought I was. So what happened was I started uh, creating a database of uh, and a timeline of what was in the public record. And pretty soon, I mean, within a matter of a couple months, I had over 100 reports that grew to 200 reports. And then I thought, well, wait a second, I can't publish all this in an article. <laughs> Something, weird, something weird is going on here. And I, and I realized that, that whoever is running the show is, is doing a masterful job at manipulating the public's perception and thinking nothing's happening. When in mm. fact it's the opposite, right? So uh, that's when I that was the motivation to start writing a book about it, and and I launched it uh, on a competitor show <laughs> in December 2006, and um, immediately after the show, the photographs that I provided on my website, uh, courtesy of Will, um, were removed. The server was locked so that the people who owned the server could not get in. I could not get in. The people that own the server in Arizona couldn't get in there um, uh, because they didn't own the software. The software was coming from a company in West Virginia. Um, um, yeah, very, actually, no, excuse me, not West Virginia. Herndon, Herndon, Virginia. Herndon, okay. Yeah, which is... Yeah, that's, it, that's, a, that's a suburb of Washington, D.C. Yeah, but it's also, right, but it's also a very well-known place for um, operatives to hang out. So I looked into the company that owned the software and they, what it said was basically a bunch of uh, KGB people that had come jumped ship and come over to the U S were working out of that area and, and that particular company. So well, but we're um, not talking a, a kind of a pre Kaspersky group, are we? Um, well, here's the thing. They, they don't like what I'm doing, but they can't stop me because then they'd have to confront me publicly. They didn't, they, they, Look, they didn't just send the helicopters once. They sent them back the second time to, to up the ante. And that was two, 2007 after the first book. I realized I had missed a lot of data and I was working on the second book and I was actually on the phone with uh, uh, legal representation from uh, Disney Studios in, in Burbank, California. And I said, look, you guys have, have somewhere in your library, you have a, a copy of uh, like 17 seconds of, uh, no, excuse me, that's a different one. You have a brief black and white movies of objects flying around the Capitol in allegedly 1952. Wait a minute. You're, like to... you, you, you're on the phone talking to Disney, telling them that in the Disney film archive, they yeah. have film right, of because... 52. Hang on, hang on. Yeah. Uh, for people that aren't following this, oh, okay, person, okay. you know. Um, in 1952, as Wilbur and I discussed last week, there were mm -hmm. some. There was a whole week of, of remarkable sightings over the nation's capital, including interceptors scrambled and radar reports, and, and even the president, President Truman, made statements. The Air Force made statements, basically saying, "Nothing to see here. Move along. Move along." Right. You were telling Disney that they had that actual film or copies of that film in their archive, right? Uh, yes, because I confirmed it with the librarian for for their archive. I mean, okay. I've got the footage. Everybody can see it now, but that was aired in 1995. Yes. 
1995. It aired on television briefly in select areas only, and then it was never shown again. It was allegedly oh, wait, wait, wait. was this was this part of this middle of the night Disney special yes. on UFOs? Yes, it's very. It only was show- I saw it in New York. I think it was shown in Los Angeles, but it was like three o'clock in the morning, like it was some kind of a test. They wanted to see, yes. a la Brookings, how people would respond yes. to a major serious doc on ufology, including, I guess, the head of Disney came on and made a pitch. Right, <laughs> he sure did. Yeah, he did. Uh, Eisner at the time. Yeah. So yeah, but in that was. Uh, stuff I'd never saw before, which freaked me out because it's, it looks authentic, especially the way they're moving, sort of like insects buzzing around a hive. Um, and it's the same thing. It's the Capitol at night. They're buzzing around the Capitol. So um, anyway, I'm on the phone with this legal lawyer representative and, and he says, um, we can't, <laughs> we can't give you a copy. And I said, why not? And he says, uh, we don't own it. And I said, who does? And he goes, I don't know. And I'm like, now I'm thinking this is just a smokescreen, something they're they're just hiding something. And oh no 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 no! It sounds like it's a it's it's like a it's like a see the intelligence community does this blind thingies. Yeah. So maybe the group in her the, the some intelligence group decided to test using Disney as a cat's paw. And didn't we find out at some point that uh, Disney yeah. was was connected to the CIA capital uh, oh, broadcasting yes. or something? Yes, absolutely. Or at least some individuals within the group were being used uh, for various reasons. But uh, so, yeah, it didn't surprise me on one level. But as I'm talking to this lawyer, I hear helicopters coming. This time there's two of them and they're so freaking loud. <laughs> I hung up. The, I just jumped off the phone because this guy wasn't helping me. I jumped off the phone. I grabbed my camera and I Good ran man. outside. But... I was so scared when those – this time it was the double-bladed, uh, double-rotor uh, helicopters, sort of a grayish color, and okay. they, were, they were so loud it was literally shaking the entire neighborhood, not just my house. I was out of my house at the time on the other side of the street thinking I was going to take oh, Chinook 46s. Okay, whatever. Yeah, Chinooks, you're right. Yes, and um, – Two of them came in and made a very scary-looking maneuver over my house, directly over my house. Um, they did this really hard bank turn. They were going straight till they got to my house, and then they did this crazy – considering how low it was, that was really dangerous. But mm. uh, again, they must have known I was home. I was on the phone, as I said, and this was, again, a very uh, in-your-face kind of <laughs> demonstration that uh, – Unfortunately, I did take their picture. It's not fantastic, but you can at least see that I'm not just making it up. I took the picture at the time it happened. Wow. <clears throat> so let's get yeah. that to Kintia so we can post that yeah. up under your items and radio with pictures. Okay. So, all right, this kind of underscored, again, this is important. But again, if you want to suppress something, why would you <laughs> – in other words, if, 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 if you're dealing with a, with a random civilian – this yeah. kind of intimidation will work, but if they've done any psyops on your background and how long you've been at this, mm-hmm. all it can do is, as I said, the reverse psychology. It gives you added impetus. I'm on to something. I will keep going. Um, I got to tell you, though, it was pretty intimidating, um, and there's, there was a few times as I was writing both of these books over a period of, I think, seven or eight years, uh, there was a, at least two, maybe three times that I wanted to quit. Um, not only because obviously they, I wasn't getting zero 
cooperation from the government except for the U.S. Capitol Police. Um, uh, it, it, I, it was actually the, the public's reaction, which was basically uh, nothing, as though there was nothing to be concerned about. That really bothered me because basically beating my head against the wall, I thought this was a very slam dunk kind of a deal. We got the photographs. We've got eyewitness accounts, hundreds of them in the first book, over 900 in the second book. And generally speaking, the, uh, well, the mainstream media still refuses to, to touch it. I've been telling Will for years that there, there should be a, a really good documentary done on it because obviously there's material for this. But the couple times people they've sent film crews in, it just didn't um, manifest. It di in fact, uh, Wilbur, what was the first crew that came there and it only aired in England? Um, first Contact. Okay. And it was supposed to air in U the U.S., right? It was supposed to air here, but they would not let it air here at all. When you say they, who is they? And we have to stop for a break. Who, whomever, whomever is the gatekeeper for the networks. Because you no, know what I mean? Programming. Go on, go on, Robert. What was the name of the network that, that okay, sponsored okay, uh, Robert, hold it there. Okay. We'll, we'll pick okay. this up on the other side. My guest this morning, Robert Stanley, all the way from Hong Kong, with a crystal clear Skype link. Uh, Wilbur Allen is in downtown Washington, D.C., a few blocks from the White House, on a telephone that sounds like he's in Hong Kong, but he's clear, so we'll maintain. And I'm here in the land of enchantment. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland, and don't go away because it's only going to get spookier when we return. There were no defects to be Here come the choppers, 
Just when we thought we were safe in our houses and we couldn't get caught, the choppers are back. They were gone for a while, but now we're under attack in the miracle Welcome back on a Saturday night here, rolling along. We're looking over bizarre things occurring over the nation's capital, up to and including a lot of missing people in D.C. We're going to get to that and even more, thousands, tens of thousands in Alaska. And I've had intimations now this is occurring all over the world. Tens and tens and tens of thousands of people have been disappearing, and nobody seems to notice or to care or they're too paralyzed to go there in terms of their headspace. So let's go back to D.C. Um, Robert, you, you said that when you put the book out, you'd expected there'd be a reaction, and it was like crickets. Describe a bit more of that, because that is anomalous in and of itself in a nation seemingly obsessed. I mean, you can't turn on the Travel Channel or the Science Channel without a UFO documentary you know, five times a week. How come back in those days nobody seemed to, to notice or care that this was going on in the nation's capital? Well, Richard, they still don't, essentially, even though we've come a long way since I broke that first article uh, internationally in July 2005. The general public has no idea and they have no interest in this topic as it relates to Washington, D.C. They know UFO activity is seen all over the world. That's a given. But I have to lay some of the blame uh, on the, at the feet of the Pentagon's psychological warfare department, and here's why. They recognized early on that they couldn't control these craft or their occupants, but they could control or contain the public's perception of same. So that's what they did. That's what they've been doing, and that's why uh, the well, major on, media refuses but, to, but, but to Before you cover. blame just the Pentagon, remember the Robertson panel? In yes, the 1950s and 54, for people that yes. don't, this was a CIA panel convened right. on national intelligence. It had people that I knew, like Thornton Page, well-known astronomer. Um, I forget who all the panel members were, but we now know in hindsight, having seen the minutes, uh, they were declassified many years ago, that mm -hmm. part of the Robertson panel uh, mandate was to basically tamp down public interest to use whatever means in terms of psychological warfare to turn UFOs from something to be afraid of to something to giggle at. Essentially true. Yes, it was they a did. form of intimidation, right? Yeah. Which, so we're basically living under a psyops dome created in the <laughs> 1950s that has has uh, not allowed the general public to see the full dimensions in any way, shape, or form up to and including this kind of quasi-secret Disney special that only aired in a couple, three cities, and I happened to live in, near one of them, so I saw it at 3 right. o'clock in the morning, including very robust statements by Robert Eisner, not Robert, um, Eisner, Jerry, what was his first name? Oh, the God, head of they, Disney? Uh, I don't yeah. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But, but, but the special was, was hosted by a very well-known actor. Uh, Robert Urich. Robert. Robert Urich. Robert yeah. Urich. Yeah. Yeah. Now you got me confused. as Eisner's first name. Anyway. Um, Might be Jerome. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Someone will tell us. They will. They will. 
they will Michael, Michael Eisner. That's Michael, Michael, yeah, that actually, yes, yes. Thank you. Okay, we got that cleared up. Okay. So, all right. So, but see, in the era of the internet, how can everybody, there are so many diverse things going on on the internet. And again, most of it is junk, but there is signal yes. there. How yes. can you, how can you keep this contained in an era of a global internet where everybody's sharing everything? Or is it that we're drowning in noise where a signal like this simply is lost because there are 10 million YouTube channels and nobody knows which is real and which is fake? Uh, so I'll well, go for back everything to... that's real, there's a million fake videos. So it's, right. it's, it's yin and yang we're dealing with. So the strategy yes. now has gone from basically giggle at it to basically drown it so that Mud. no one can really find the real data. Exactly. Well, and also here's the problem. Most people in the public won't believe anything until they see it on television coming from what's so-called uh, an authority figure. Right. And this is, this is part of the problem with our government. They realize, again, through the Brookings Institute, if they were to officially announce that this was going on and that they really can't control this. They don't know who these guys are, or what they want here. If they said that, yes, things would become unhinged very quickly, worse than they are now. <laughs> I was going to say, how can they get worse than they are now? <laughs> don't we have ask, a guy, Richard. We, Robert, we have a guy in the White House that if, if, if Donald Trump sat down in the Oval Office after it's remodeled uh -huh. next uh, after next Monday, the 21st, and he was basically looking at the camera and say, UFOs are real, nobody would believe him. Probably not. Well, because he's not – look, he's announced – he's still an outsider even though he's in. His, God, his acceptance speech was all about screw the <laughs> – screw everybody in Washington. I'm here now. You know, we're gonna, no wonder people are pissed at him. Mm. Okay, the so inaugural, let, the inaugural let, sorry, not acceptance. Yeah, let us inaugural. go back. Let's go back to the story because I wanted to keep it as yeah. linear as possible. So after you did the book – when, when did Wilbur, Wilbur, when did you take the photos over to the Capitol Police? I took the photos to the Capitol Police July 17th, 2002, and I had the encounter July 16th. Okay. And Robert, when did you approach them for the book? Uh, that was 2005. I met Wilbur uh, Spring. I think, I'm thinking it was around May or something. Yeah, I think it was shortly. Yeah, it didn't take very long after I spoke to him at length and exchanged a bunch of emails. Uh, logistically, we worked things out. He really didn't want to be known at first because he thought it would hurt his uh, professional career, which it has. Uh, and um, so I promised us to call him the DC photographer for the article. Um, of course, we had to change that when the book came out. I, I insisted that he use his real name because this was turning into a really big story. Um, and by the way, what you said about 1952, I believe that as well, that um, the, uh, they really only showed up for about a week between, uh, July and, uh, well, it was actually July and also September was a big deal. September 12th. Anyway, they showed up over 80 times based on the research I did for the second book. Um, I was able to dig up at least 80 different events that occurred in 1952 over Washington, DC. Daryl told me who, and again, Daryl served in the military. He heard from various contacts that, that, um, the military felt they were being invaded, which I guess is true to some extent. Now, what uh, Colonel Wendell Stevens told me before he passed away, because I asked him about, uh, I said, look, Colonel, in the public record, it says here that um, hundreds of people took uh, photographs and film of the events. Um, uh, most of them were standing out on the mall. And why not? You know, if, if this is happening repeatedly and you got a camera, why wouldn't you take pictures? And I said, so I asked him obvious questions. <laughs> Where is it? Why do we only have one picture? 
And he said uh, um, what he'd been told by a friend of his named Augie Roberts on the East Coast who had a huge collection of, of uh, probably the largest before Wendell Stevens was Augie Roberts had a huge collection of UFO photos. And he told Colonel Stevens that, that he'd been given a copy of that iconic photo of the same exact location where Will took his pictures uh, 50 years later um, of these, that small fleet of UFOs uh, passing over the squadron, passing over the Capitol or behind mm -hmm. it, behind the Capitol Dome. And he said that was a copy made by a, a news photographer who gave it to Augie Roberts. And then the, later, the, the news reporter said, man, it's a good thing I gave you that because they, the military came and confiscated my camera and my film and told us you're never to publish if you, you know, don't ever publish this. Under National Security Act, we're taking your stuff, and we're, tell we're telling you right now there's going to be consequences if you publish anything about these events. So uh, Colonel Stevens told me that this, this was an isolated event, that during 1952, they were canvassing the entire D.C. area and doing this to various people. Uh, under the color of law, obviously, they had the authority to do that. Um, and I also asked him where he thought, <laughs> said, well, obviously, they didn't destroy it all. They must have this stuff. Uh, and he, he gave me a very interesting answer. He said it's probably being uh, retained in an archive at Mount Weather. Hmm. Which is really curious that he would say that to me, but it, I don't, and I can't prove it. But it, I know it exists because, look, Disney had access to it in 1995. They obviously had access to something that had been confiscated and classified. It's very brief, but it's very telling. So I come along with and publish Will's photographs in 2005. Later that year, Nick Cook did a uh, produced a thing with Channel Four in the UK, which is owned by A and E, and the History Channel. They're all together on this. He did a UFO documentary where everything in there was CGI, except about 15 or 16 seconds of that event from July of 1952 with that same squadron passing over the Capitol or behind the Capitol dome as you're standing from the reflecting pool looking at the Capitol. Mm. So, and, and I contact, I'd already interviewed Nick Cook before about his zero point uh, research. And I asked him, I said, who, where did you get that footage? And he said, I don't know. I'll have to ask my producer. A month goes by, nothing. So I asked him again, where did you get the footage? And he said, oh, it was CGI. Well, everything else was, but not that. I'm absolutely sure of it. And, you know, Will did a really good analysis of it as well. Uh, it's, it kind of went viral on the internet after a while. Mm. Um, but it's, it's obvious. It's you can see. CGI, definitely no, but not. here's, it was, you're right. Going, I'm sorry. I'll tell you what, hold it guys, hold it, hold it there. Okay. We have, hang on. We have a break at the top of the hour. <laughs> I want to talk about this a little more when we come back, obviously. Yeah. Kinti right. has been able to post the photo of the two Chinooks over your driveway Robert, yeah. under yeah. your images and radio with pictures. There's also the film, the 1952 perspective film showing movies. the squadron, the, the movies uh, going over the Capitol. So you can go oh. to the other side of midnight.com, radio with pictures, yeah. or to the guests, click on any of those links. We'll take you to the nice guest page. You will see them. My guest this morning, Robert Stanley, all the way from Hong Kong, Wilbur Allen in downtown D.C. We're talking about events that have recurringly occurred in the month of July. 
going back decades over the nation's capital, quote, UFO events that is obviously the biggest secret kept still in the world because almost nobody knows. Even those people who see it can't seem to get the word out that this is happening. You're on the other side of Midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland, and we shall return. WBCQ, Monticello, Maine, USA. WXME, AM 780, Monticello, Holton, Presque Isle. Side of Midnight. My name is Richard C. Hogan. My guest this morning, Robert Stanley, who is joining us via Skype, the magic of Skype, the magic of the digital internet, which can bring you anything, anywhere, anytime, but you may not know if it's real. Well, Robert is real. He's coming to us from Hong Kong. Wilbur Allen is uh, a few blocks from the White House, from his townhouse. That sounds so grand, you know, uh, townhouse. I, I know what those little houses look like in D.C., they're they're like <laughs> they're they're like centuries. Well, they're tall. You have to walk on up and down all those stairs. You must be in great shape. So great so <laughs> so so you tried to duplicate, or did you? Let me let me phrase rephrase the question. From the classic imagery from 1952, the week that was of new apology over the Capitol, did you try in 2002 to recreate the geometry by taking pictures of the same? things in the same place in the sky or was it you just know, kind it was of very strange i was with the client who I was doing this album cover for and something in the band said to me take your camera out go into this park and take a picture and as i set my camera out into the park which was lower senate park and i took this photograph these green spheres materialized directly above my head and the camera took a three and a half minute picture of them Okay, well, let's go back to the linear sequence. So you put uh-huh. out the book, put out the second book. You get Chinooks that show up. You get <laughs> single helicopters first. They're kind of amping up the 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 pressure, and it is having a psychological effect. But to me, the most interesting thing about this this story, Robert, so far is mm-hmm. the lack of response. The fact that there's no public response. How I mean, given that UFOs are in everybody's lips. How is yeah. it that something over the nation's capital, where all the cable networks are focused, all the news cycles are focused, all the blather coming out on, on, on you know cable shows is about D.C., Washington policy and all that. How come this can all go on and nobody knows, which then brings me to the next question, which is, Wilbur, was it possible by taking those pictures over to the Capitol Police, you sensitized a group in Washington – to be receptive when Robert knocked on their door and asked them to to help. 
Well, you know, John Podesta was uh, in on this all along because I'd been sending my materials to John, which I met at Georgetown Law School. He was the dean of Georgetown. Okay, hang on, hang on. You got to, you got to give people a background. Who's John Podesta, and why is he playing in the sandbox? Well, John Podesta <laughs> was the chief of staff for um, Barack Obama, if I'm not mistaken. For Wait, also for the Clinton administration. And for the Clinton first. administration. So he's he's a power person here in the political arena in Washington, D.C., him and Ed Rothschild, who were in the office together and at the uh, Center for American Progress. And I took the stuff to, to John, and John was very receptive in, in the sense that he didn't criticize the materials. In fact, he was impressed by the fact that I had photographed something with such definition that nobody seemed to care about, especially at the U.S. Capitol building, and that's where Robert came in with the books. But even that didn't seem to muster up much of anything. Um, especially when at the time I took the photographs at the U.S. Capitol, when, which was July the 16th in 2002, there were U.S. Capitol police officers on duty at the time, which reported, which I had been photographing, but their supervisors didn't believe their reports, and my photographs basically vindicated the officers that were on duty at that time. So, Robert, when you approached yeah. the Capitol Police, did they acknowledge that Wilbur had given them previous material? I didn't ask them that, Richard. Okay. I didn't think I was going to get a straight answer on that because uh, that's a violation of all laws. That what it, if, if it happened, that they're not going to admit it happened because that means there's a that flaw in the security yeah. system. That's that's you don't advertise that, and I didn't expect them to go there. Uh, I just went to the public relations division and I started asking them some. Well, it's all in the conclusion of the the first book. Uh, Close Encounters on Capitol Hill, um, I wanted them to have some kind of statement on the record because I didn't know where this was going. And I, but, okay, so what, Will kept in touch with one of the detectives and he was telling him, look, the, the, our logs are full of these kinds of events. And, but we cannot talk about it publicly. We are, we are not the uh, controlling authority over, the, over Capitol Hill. We have to answer to a different agency, a three-letter agency, okay? And this is what I was tr alluding to before. There is a conglomerate of uh, intelligence uh, people, scientists, et cetera, that are loosely under the umbrella of something called the Collins elite, according to Nick Redfern. And they are very well aware of this, and they consider it a threat. And they're, they're not about to announce that publicly um, that some of these entities appear to be quite um, malevolent. Interesting. Interesting. Now, when you say malevolent, how, how do they know that? Because we're not talking then about lights in the sky. Okay. Uh, I, I, I touch on – actually, I give you a, a complete explanation in the conclusion of the second book, Covert Encounters in Washington, D.C. Um, you may or may not be aware that um, William Peter Blatty, the author of The Exorcist, took that information directly out of the newspapers from the D.C. area back in 48-49. Uh, he fictionalized a real event happened to a young boy in the D.C. area. And his family, his entire family was affected by some sort of unseen entities. They were tormenting the entire family, not just the boy. Mm. Um, uh, as I read through that and digested it, um, and by the way, Mr. Blatty, at, prior to writing The Exorcist, he had worked for the Psychological Warfare Department at the Pentagon. So um, he is a very interesting character, uh, and that that movie scared the hell out of a lot of people. 
but it, it was based on events in Washington, D.C. And as I was going through that, I realized, wow, um, some of these entities that are here covertly uh, are um, highly manipulative and they can uh, remotely access part of our brain and not just children. And so this was what, very curious, too. I did, had no idea until I was writing the conclusion of the second book. There is a demon cat in the Capitol building. There is a what? A demon cat living in the U.S. Capitol building. Well, when you I say ha- cat, you mean here, kitty, 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 kitty? Well, uh, okay. So this is what it, it only appears, according to the public record, it only appears at times of national crises, like uh, assassination of a president or other things like 9-11. And when it is seen, the way it has been described in the public record is uh, by a full-grown man, security officer, who is armed, <laughs> said when he first saw it, it looked like a cat. So naturally, he's like, like you just said, oh, hi, there's a cat in the <laughs> building. And then he realized it had glowing eyes, and it was approaching him. And as it was approaching him, it was getting larger and larger until it was the size of like a cougar or something. Mm-hmm. And then it lunged, it lunged at him, and he fainted. So now it's also what, been said what- – what color is it? Uh, I believe it was black with glowing eyes. <laughs> I'm black. Yeah, man. naturally. Yeah, it's it's just right. So anyway, he's not the only one. There's multiple accounts of this. You can look it up. Um, uh, Demon Cat, capital U.S. Uh, they nicknamed it D.C. It's been seen multiple times. And what's really curious to me DC is that – D.C. Demon Cat in the of course, capital D.C. Oh, this is – guys, it's come too on. too cliche. This is I know, too, I know. Too weird. But you're saying that credible people, you know, no-nonsense detectives and police officers are seeing this apparition, and you say it only appears around national crises. Yes. Well, typically that's how demons operate. They feed off of fear, negative energy that we generate when we harm ourselves or others. That's what okay, I've let me ask you. Let me ask you this question. Any speculations as to why it's a pussycat? Uh, no, I don't think it is. Typically, these things have the ability to shape shift. And uh, but here's what was really strange: I had read in the public record that had, this thing somehow had left foot or paw prints in the marble floor and the wall. What? I know. And uh, so when I can uh, these I was, be photographed? Can these paw prints be photographed? Good question. Here's what happened, though: I was contacted by a retired U.S. Capitol tour guard. Tour guide. He was married to one of the U.S. Capitol police. I know this for a fact because he was using her cell phone, uh, and I had that verified by – I just independently called and said, is there a so-and-so person working in your um, – oh, God. There's a special division within the Capitol Police that only handles interior of the Senate. Uh, I totally blanked on what they're – anyway, the bottom line is this guy was married to a U.S. Capitol Police officer. He'd been working at the Capitol for a number of years until he fell down a series of flight of steps and broke his back. Oh, and uh, yeah. So anyway, he he contacted me and said, look, I've got some reports. Uh, Unofficially, I'm going to give you two events that happened to the to the U.S. Capitol Police to validate two things that they not only are they seeing these things on a fairly frequent basis and also to support what you've been reporting is factual. So it was it, as I told you off the air. This is a way of doing this with plausible deniability. See what That's I don't a, understand, Robert. Let me stop you there. What I don't understand yep. is we're in a, we're six months into an administration that's been leaking mm-hmm. like a sieve. 
Yep. I mean, we have 13, 15, 30 sources in the Washington Post, the New York Times, people telling us everything that Donald Trump is doing up to and including, you know, what at three o'clock in the morning and all that. How come with with hundreds of Capitol Police spanning out over that large area of real estate, worried about security, seeing things, how come none of this is leaking, even at the edges of the kind of fringe stuff, the Twilight Zone stuff, the uh, uh, you know uh, X Files? Uh, well, again, this is kind of go back to when part of the investigation was I did speak to Ed Rothschild at Podesta Mattoon, which is the PR firm for John Podesta. He came out in October of 2002 and made that that really strange statement sort of out of the blue, like, hey, um, UFOs are real, essentially, and uh, you know the public can't handle it. We should tell them the truth. I'm summarizing. I'm just paraphrasing. Right, right. Uh, it's, it's, it's kind of iconic what he said. But anyway, he was saying that – And he said it in, not once. He said it several times. He said it even during his, his yeah. campaign chairmanship of Hillary's campaign. Well, and yes, it, because he's very away. familiar. Yes, she's very familiar with this subject. Yes. Um, So, well, yeah, because they can't. Here's the thing. What Mr. Rothschild told me uh, was that. um, And hang on. Rothschild Rothschild is who? He works for John Podesta at as a. Well, he did. He was working for John Podesta's public relation firm. Now, Wilbur gave me the clue, so I contacted this guy, and we spoke on the phone, and he told me – because I said, look, we've got the photographs. I've got all the, the uh, supporting data from the public record and private reports. This is some, There's something going on here, and we can prove it. And he said, well, you're never going to get anybody from any official capacity to come on the record. And I said, why not? And he said, because they don't want to be held accountable for something they can't control or contain. And he gave me an example. He said, for, he said if someone from the FBI – held a press conference and said UFOs are real, the, there would be a literally a, an excrement storm of, of questions coming at that person. And ultimately what, what would happen, he or she could not uh, answer all the questions satisfactorily and the public would get really upset. It's like, well, first of all, why didn't you tell us this, this sooner? What else are you not telling us? Who are these beings? You know, if they're, if they're a threat, we need to know about it. So it, it's just a huge can of worms that they do not want to, to, to get open up. I don't blame them, honestly. When I, when I started to understand this problem, I realized, well, okay, uh, this, is a, this is a conundrum. But don't they understand that if tomorrow the phenomenon decided to make itself public, all those questions would be asked anyway, and it would be 10 times worse because they'd be under a threat? It wouldn't be abstract. It wouldn't be under their control. It would be under the control of the phenomenology, which would make it much scarier to the general public. Um, yes. Okay. Social engineering is always tricky. And, um, I, I can't really speak. Here's the thing. As I said before, did I say Collins elite yeah. before? Yeah. You might want to Google that because they realize that this is not, this is a multidimensional problem. These entities are, uh, have ca- capacities far beyond our understanding or ability. So it's, we, we have no parity here and that's it's on some Level, I agree that this would be could be irresponsible to report to the public and create some sort of um, chaos. Hmm. It's the, it's, well, here's the problem: you can't be a little bit pregnant, Richard. You know, no, this, you okay? can't. No, All no, right. you can't. I mean, and with this subject point, matter, yes, it's very yeah. tricky. Wilbur, what are your thoughts? Obviously, you would like this out there. Do you think there's this <laughs> incredible negative aspect, or do you think that humans are made of sterner stuff? Once they get over I the think shock. Humans have made a sterner stuff, but there's still this 
flow of information that doesn't seem to be getting out there, and they still want to keep it under control in the sense that, you know, once people find out that aliens are real, hey, we've just destabilized society, and that's basically what the premise of the Brookings Institute report was basically about. So they're, they're wanting to keep this under wraps for as long as possible, but with the amount of information that I'm getting on a nightly basis, it's going to be hard for them to contain the fact that extraterrestrials are indeed in D.C., this goes to my central question I asked you last week, which was you have digital capability. You have the Internet. You're in an incredible, you know, excellent location, a few blocks from the White House. Why don't you put this on the Internet like live streaming UFOs over the Capitol every night? We do promos and we see what happens. Well, the problem is it's not consistent in the sense that you know they would show up every night at three o'clock, four o'clock. It doesn't have to be. Doesn't have to be. All it takes is for one storm to occur, and then everybody will check back and they'll tell their friends, and they'll tell their friends, and they'll tell their friends. And you put it in the in the blurbs. It may not happen when you're watching, but just keep checking back because it's going to happen at some point when you're watching. I, you know, that would uh, be Wilbur, something I, to do, but it would be hard. Go on. Why? Yes, Why would it be I, hard? It's all automated. No, no. He, needs, he needs a little help, Richard. Um, I've been talking to the the uh, Bill, Skywatcher Bill over at KGRA, and he runs the talk stream. Uh, and anyway, he does that. He does that for the person meteor showers. And I'd like to help Will take it to the next level of, of what you're just you, – you basically are just reading straight from what my thought process was last <laughs> night okay. with Will. I was telling him the basically the exact same thing that there's another level here that that he can attain if he gets a little bit of help in producing a show like that. I mean, Wilbur, you know our friend Keith, right? Oh, yes. Who was who was a master magician electronically? He actually was able to get live the Pluto encounter from the control center. Yes. He was able he was able to get Alan Stern, the PI, on my radio show live that night. He could give you all kinds of technical help, and there's through him all kinds of other technical people. If they shut it down, we could create the um, you know excrement storm that Robert very <laughs> cleverly alluded to a moment ago, because absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. If, if this if this was established, kind of like the DC UFO channel, and tell me, let, let's hold it there because uh, I hear break coming in the background. We shall point. return to this. I will pick up on this point. Because it seems to me that we've got to get a breakthrough in this year because this is the year for disclosure, and that's a whole other conversation to take place later in the hour. You're on the other side of midnight. My guest this morning, Wilbur Allen and Robert Stanley. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. Do not touch that dial because you might be able to help us make history when we return. Clean away, go my airplane. Clean away, go my airplane. Clean away, go my airplane. 
DC. Now, if you go back to our home of home homepage on the other side of midnight.com, go to the homepage and then click on any of a number of different ways to get there to the guest page, which is you know the uh, tonight show or the posters or the uh, the, uh, the little links there above the uh, the guests. That will take you to tonight's guest page. Kinthea has been very busy while we've been doing the show. She's posted a whole bunch of new stuff. Uh, just scroll down. And you'll see the helicopters that appeared twice over Robert's house there in California. The single one is the second one. The two Chinooks, which occurred uh, later, are the first picture. Then below that, there's this video, this amazing film footage of what happened the night of July, uh, I think it was 16th, 1952, over the Capitol. And then you keep scrolling down. You'll see a bunch of other. We're going to go through those pictures that are uh, there. Scroll all the way down just before Robert's picture at the bottom. And there are two cover shots of his two books, Close Encounters on Capitol Hill and Encounters in Washington, D.C., which are books which obviously nobody wants to read because is Robert, is, is, is it is – it, I'm, I'm being facetious, but is it too much to say that maybe people just – it's sitting too close to home? They really don't want to know. It, it will shake up their world too much if they open this, this doorway. Yeah, I I've come to that conclusion that the implications are just too 
big. Uh, most people shut down. I think they call that cognitive dissonance when they are fa- when humans are faced with something they can't comprehend or or deal with. Um, you know, I mean, what can we do, right? We can barely elect somebody that's going to make the country better or the world better. So this is this is a huge problem. I, I kind of get it now. I was very naive when I first started doing this this particular investigation. Well, the thing that strikes me is that when Brookings first came out, this is the Brookings. By the way, continue. We probably should put up a link to Brookings, which is on the Enterprise Mission website. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you do a Google search, Brookings, comma, Enterprise, it will take you right to those pages. The Brookings report said in 59, kind of paraphrasing a few good men, uh, Jack Nicholson, um, if we find it, we must hide it because they can't take it. Can't, we seems- can't handle the truth. Yeah, that's, that's, the, that's that seems the to be what we're dealing with. But Brookings also made prescriptions going back to 59 in that original document, which is called Brookings because it was commissioned of NASA during the Eisenhower years uh, through the Brookings Institution, the big think tank there in Washington, uh, kind of just up the street from where Wilbur is living, um, which basically said that back in the 50s, we couldn't handle it. But they recommended a dedicated program, decades of acculturation, of education, of movies, of television shows, of the, this inundation of extraterrestrial reality. So finally, when the government did come clean, people would go, oh, I saw that on uh, the other side, whatever. In other words, it would be <laughs> a kind of a whole hum as opposed to a shock. But what you're telling me is that even though we've had decades of this cultural infusion of ET reality at every level, almost saturation, the actual reality is so abnormal, so discontinuous, so disconcerting that people really won't pick up a book and read it, which says that's happening right now on Capitol Hill. Well, yeah, because as I said, the Collins elite are, understand this is multidimensional. No, no, go back, to the, go back to the Collins elite. Who the heck are the Collins elite? Yeah, well, they're they're not a publicly known agency. Nick Redfern was contacted allegedly by some of the members, now, and Nick they were based. Again, you have to background people. Nick Redfern yeah, is a friend of ours. He's a UFOlogist, a UFO researcher in England. Correct. And yes, he and he, he's quite good. Term. No, no. He told he was told by p- individuals allegedly within the group that that was the how it started. That was the umbrella name for uh, uh, this group, and that they they had a very holistic view that this is not all benevolent. That there are some who these entities, these multidimensional entities, uh, especially from a religious perspective, are considered um, a problem, uh, demonic, and okay. so. All right, and that's why I alluded to the other thing about um, what I'd learned about through the public record about things happening in Washington D.C. That, I mean, <clears throat> it's difficult to discuss this because I realize some people want they just want nuts and bolts, but there is a there's a subtler side to all this that makes it. Well, very, that's why you're here, Robert. We need to talk oh. about the subtler side. So <laughs> dive into that area because I'm I'm I like nuts and bolts, but we have so many nuts and bolts. I mean, with Wilbur's data alone, we got more nuts than we have bolts. So let's go to the <laughs> symbology. Let's go to the meaning. Let's go to why Brookings, notwithstanding the cover-up, still seems to be in place, and we're not doing the normal human thing when we're confronted with with a problem. We get allies. Maybe the human race by itself can't confront the, the bad guys, 
But right. don't we have allies out there? Don't we have ETs that kind of want us to continue? Can't we make arrangements? Can't we make treaties? Can't we do normal things that we do when we're confronted by big problems that need big solutions? If you can't handle it yourself, you get people with you on the same side who can help you handle it. Yes, and you're making good points, Richard. I, I agree with all of them. However, um, the ruling class, the elite, the deep state, which used to be called the shadow government, does not feel that we are um, – uh, they don't. Well, first of all, they don't want us to tell us because they think it'd be harder to control society. But I agree with you. I think that that's the only way we can move past this. Uh, and there was some discussion of that within the Collins elite group, according to Nick Redfern. They were actually. How do they, how do they get the term Collins elite? Where did the term I, I, Collins I come from? I, I forget. But I my takeaway on it was that they these this was an eclectic group. It's not just one agency; it's multiple agencies that are working through DARPA through this. You know, like the are Jason we talking, Society. Are we, are we, hang on, are we, are we talking governments? Are we talking international yeah. financiers? Are we talking Rothschilds and Rockefellers? Are we talking uh, big picture secret societies? No, no, Oops, no, no. U.S. Wrong. U.S. military intelligence people is the way Nick put it together. So this that, is only restricted to the 17 U.S. intelligence agencies in the United States. Well, that's still a lot of people, and it, and and it would include – And they call themselves the Collins Group. That name is important, obviously. Collins Elite, and because they were the ones that were kind of spearheading this unofficial investigation of things that – I guess a lot of these guys, what if I read this correctly from Redfern's research, is that some, quite a few of them have a, take, have a religious perspective on this, uh, all the way back to biblical times, if not before that, um, you know – based on Sumerian records and whatnot. I mean, they probably have access to things that we can't even imagine, but... So they're aware this is not a 20th century problem. This goes back to the origins of the human species. Right. Now, I just I just posted this. Uh, Wilbur sent me this. It's a news clipping about um, the, <laughs> the pentagram, the broken pentagram in Washington, D.C., right where he lives. Mm-hmm. Okay, you take a look at that because this is essentially what the Collins elite know to be true or believe to be true and are doing something uh, – well, they're tr attempting to, do, to deal with it. Part of it you alluded to was um, gradually uh, acclimating the public to the fact that these things are real and that they do exist without giving it any kind of official credence. There's no stamp of, like you said, official disclosure hasn't happened. Soft disclosure has been happening for decades, mm. they, right? They can't stop the me the message from getting out. But it, it, what is the context? You know, um, as I said before, without any authoritative uh, pr approval, you know, that this is them saying, you know, yes, it's real. Yes, these entities exist. Some of them are good. Some of them are bad. Uh, relatively speaking, to our future. Um, you know, part of the problem I find is what makes me really suspicious about all this. How many times they've been to D.C. is is just ridiculously large. I mean, wait, 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 wait. hang on, hang on. When you say they, who's they? Okay, we don't know. I'm being vague. I don't know who is flying these craft. Oh, okay. so we're so we're talking these about these. Hang on, hang on. So we're talking yeah. about the appearance of UFOs, balls of light. Right. The bizarre energy patterns that Wilbur is photographing, which we'll talk Correct. about in a little while. Yep. So when you say they, you mean whoever's behind all of those apparitions in the yes. in the restricted skies over the over the nation's capital. Right, which is a violation of law. 
because that is controlled airspace unless you happen to be a UFO pilot and then you can pop in and in and out whatever you want. You, so yeah. again, that would be embarrassing to, to admit that to say the least, but considering how many times they've been there. And as I said, I've documented over 900 cases from 1850 to 2011 when the second book came out, but it's, it's ongoing as well. This is, has this is UFO appearances over DC. You've documented Correct. going back centuries. Yeah. And b- believe it or not, a lot of those things were listed as meteorites. <laughs> passing over the city. I mean, well, I wonder why. Yeah. Okay. So, why. okay. But here's, here's where I have a big issue is they could, especially the night Wilbur was out there f- filming, they could have just hung out long enough to hold, hold a press conference if they wanted to. They clearly don't want to interface with us in a very overt and public manner, which leads me to be very, very, very specific, suspicious of their motives and their true agenda. Hang, and I on, think there's more hang on, hang on, hang on. Go ahead. Um, let me see. How do I approach this? See, my work, my research has been bifurcated into two areas. One is the scientific, you know, looking at ruins, looking at images, looking at correlating physics, hyperdimensional modeling, the measurements we've done around the world, the sacred sites and all that, <clears throat> which overwhelmingly demonstrate a science and technology which is capable under control of doing this stuff. So we're looking at Arthur C. Clarke written large any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. Correct. Then, then we get to who's behind it. Are we looking at real aliens or are we looking at family? Are we looking at members of the human species, the extended family that Neil Armstrong alluded to in his famous statement when he set boot print on the moon? Mm-hmm. You know, this one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. I'm talking about mankind being our cousins and brothers and aunts and uncles and all the other folks out there going back tens and tens of thousands of years. And then man is his current little primitive cousin who's been coddled and kept like in a hothouse, protected from the realities of real galactic truth and reality. Mm-hmm. And that's the group that our elites are, you know, uh, the 300 families, whatever you want to call them. Uh, seem to be devoted to protecting, but it seems to me, Robert, it's a fool's errand because at a moment's notice, in fact, with no notice, whoever's up there doing this can decide it's time to change the game. So they yes. can make it public anytime they want on their timetable, but not on ours, which means these guys will be caught flat-footed. They'll be accused and hung for <laughs> yes. not for not leveling with people and they're not in control they have no No. control at all but they're maintaining the illusion of control and that control could disappear tonight wilbur could photograph a stunning thing landing in full resplendence like out of close encounters for the third time in the middle of the mall and there's not a damn thing they could do about it uh right except maybe panic do you know did you see did you see some of the the news reports coming out during the last election that the uh, Clinton campaign was actually considering doing yeah, some kind of stunt? Yes, of course. I've been following. I've had people on the show. I've had Steve Bassett a million times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We, talked about, we talked to uh, Grant, uh, Grant Cameron. We've talked right. about timetables. We've talked about timetables that have been demolished because Trump won, Hillary <laughs> didn't. And yeah, but but again, that's all theory. That's all. Yeah, no, I know, it, 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 it's, but it's also, plausible. It, it, it's look, possible, it, it but it doesn't, doesn't mean it's – that doesn't prove anything. I know. 
I know. It's a, a lot of this is conjecture. However, the photographs are real. By, by the way, let me interrupt. Cantia uh, uh, now has the Devil Cat article that you sent uh, up, which I find astonishing because part of this history, which I don't think uh. you guys are aware of, cats play a huge role in this symbology. This is a symbolic set of appearances. It's not just nuts and bolts. It's huge symbology embodied in the history of the human species going back through ancient Egypt. And the reason, guys, this all seems to be happening again and again and again in July, particularly between July 16th and a week later, is that's the five epigonal days at the end of the ancient ritual Egyptian calendar devoted uh -huh. to the gods of Egypt. The guys who are playing uh -huh. games upstairs over the sacred sp airspace of D.C., are right out of the Egyptian ancient ritual playbook, which right. tells me they're not aliens, they're family. Yes, I agree with that. That's a good assessment, Richard. Thank you. And that is well new done. news that no one has ever put together before <laughs> on live radio or television. Well, so yeah. let us go back to the central yeah. question, which is how the hell do we get this out there? And Wilbur, you've got to make this public. We've got to set up a live stream. So, Robert, from a quarter of a planet, half a planet away, <laughs> How did we get Wilbur the technical talent to set up a live, you know, UFOs over DC channel where every night people can tune in anywhere in the world and watch this stuff in real time and we'll break in. I said we, because obviously I'll be part of this at some level and mm -hmm. give people a kind of a thumbnail course in what they're seeing and why it's important and why in 2017 it's going to hit the rotating kitchen appliance. Yeah, it's, that's a very – I like that, and I think it's important because what it does is it allows interactivity. Um, I know when I first published the first book, that's when somebody came out of the woodwork and sent me right before I was going to you know, talk about you know, nationally. I was going to launch the book. Some guy preemptively sends me this picture of uh, that uh, July 1949 uh, – July 4th, 1949 at the Pentagon where he worked. He took pictures while he was on a picnic with his wife and daughter, I think. He took the pictures out the window while his wife was driving of these things over the. Uh, okay. So anyway, okay. Hold, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's, yeah, let's yeah. direct people. Yeah. Remember, this is radio with pictures. So go okay, to yeah. the other side of midnight.com, <laughs> click on tonight's you guest. You got it there, right? And scroll down on the guest page down to item number five under That's Robert's it. items. Yep. There's a gorgeous color, ectocolor, ectochrome view. It's called – it's labeled July 1949, the Pentagon. It's obviously – that's the Pentagon. Right. And above it, looking like something right out of Hollywood or out of that movie, the 54 movie, you know, the uh, uh, War of the Flying Saucers or something, there are four vehicles, clearly vehicles, shot on very high-res film in color. It's a slide film, by the way. And you know what's weird? Okay, so a, a nephew ended up – the man who took it – he took two pictures. He gave one to his commanding officer. It was told to just, uh, this never happened. He kept one of the, he didn't tell him he had two pictures. He kept one in his things. He eventually um, passed it on to a nephew. And one day the nephew was going through this box of slides and he found this and was just floored by it. And then naturally he called up his uncle and said, what is this? And he goes, oh, you found it. <laughs> like, like that. <laughs> You know, and it makes me wonder, Richard, how many more pictures are out there like this and or people's personal uh, accounts 
of encounters in Washington, D.C. I mean, um, that's I was surprised after the first book how many more people contacted me, but I kept feeling and I still feel um, and Wil- Wilbur's met some of these people because he lives there and he talks to them. There are a lot of people that have little bits and pieces of this puzzle that if you give them the opportunity, they're more than happy to um, most of them. Some of them can't reveal their identities. But, so right, let's Will? give them a live stream website where they yeah. can gather and talk and submit materials and share and, uh, yeah. share, and yep. let's simply go around the so-called fake media. I'm all for it, actually. I think it's a great idea. And if we're stopped, we talk about it on this show and other shows that we've been stopped and we can't do this. And obviously people will get upset and it will get done. Right. Right, there are right, more right. of us than them. See, that's, that's what I want <laughs> yes, to be impressing. There's many, many, many more of us than them, and we're ignorant because we want to remain ignorant. I think the reception well, to your book, Robert, is so telling. It's like people don't want to know. Okay, but getting back to a central point that you raised, which is, is very funda- fundamentally important, is that we are a family. We're all family. However, my research has come to – led me to this conclusion is that there is a family feud that has been raging for quite some time. And this is where we get, this is where we get the difference or differentiate between what we consider to be malevolent ones and benevolent ones. Uh, you know, relatively speaking, these guys are at odds with one another. It's a family feud. It's a civil war from a Christian perspective. They call it the war in heaven. Um, but it's, I think it is quite Which real. Which just happens to be the title of our book that we're doing with a whole bunch of us. There's six or seven oh, of really? us now, the bridge crew. It's called Hidden Mars, A War in Heaven. Of I did course. not pick that title accidentally because, yes, no. we're on the same page, pun uh, intended. <laughs> yeah, this is really good stuff, Richard. You know, I've, I've watched you all. So we met in 1994, and I watched your your um, your work. and. Just it's blossomed, and it's. Uh, I got to commend you publicly. I know you and I talk off the air a lot, but um, over the years, but I, I just got to thank you, really. I know you've taken a lot of flack for this, but um, thank you for never giving up. Well, how can you give up when the story isn't fully told yet? Oh, other, I think people with uh, lesser fortitude would have just walked away. No, it's hmm. a never ending story. Right, well, true. see, us, 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 us Tauruses are very, very, very stubborn. <laughs> and yeah, as my true. friend Stan Tennant, who I quoted earlier in the show, has said, you know, when you, when you, when you put, when you put stuff in, you turn the crank, and real stuff falls out. How can you not keep going? Because there's real data. Our, our synoptic knowledge now of what we're dealing with, which involves Mars and Earth and the rest of the solar system, an extraordinary Type Two civilization. A civil war between siblings, and of course, civil wars are the worst. Look at the, the American Civil War. Yeah. Uh, all of that now fits into these various compartments, so where we're getting a kind of a coherent picture. What doesn't fit in is how most people don't seem to want to know. Even with this uh, supersaturation over decades, a la Brookings, most people would prefer to think of it on the silver screen or at a you know a Comic-Con or in a, in a Marvel tentpole movie, not as something which is occurring right now in Wilbur's backyard. Yeah, but it, again, it's not, it's not just a physical experience. There's some other component, uh, multidimensional aspect to all this, 
you know, because that's um, the way the physics works. The physics I know, is, it is multidimensional. It, it's hyperdimensional. It's You're a right, hyperdimensional it torsion field, and it has a technology. Remember, all of these assaults, these so-called demon assaults, yeah. they can be combated by an equivalent technology. You just have to make the technology not secret. Right, and I this, agree. This so-called, this so-called Collins elite, <clears throat> which is part of a larger elite, you know, supranational group. Right, right. They don't want us to know there's a physics and technology. Because that will remove their last vestige of control. True. And here's the other thing is that they know that once we recognize that there's a problem, that we will start to organize and work to solve the problem. That's human nature. And th that you're right. At that point, they start to become obsolete. And they know it. You're right. See, I have a feeling that this has been on a timetable. And I've said this before. Uh, yeah. Um, that it couldn't be disclosed earlier. You know, the old, uh, you know, Gallo wine commercial, make no wine <laughs> And the reason that this could not be disclosed before now, in 2017, is the physics wouldn't allow it. The physics wouldn't huh. wouldn't cr allow it to, to manifest. Because this physics, as it changes, is also a physics of consciousness, not just nuts right. and bolts technology. Right, but let's briefly touch on what consciousness is. Where is it being? Where are all these waves that we call consciousness? Where are they being generated from? It's not the gray matter in our skull. No, no, no. I don't think it, the, the gray matter is merely a receiver. It's actually right. a transceiver. Right. So you here know, we are again. It's from, from other dimensions, other parts of reality. Right. We're we're kind of living this virtual reality experience in this model as three dimensional meat beings. <laughs> But our real entities are somewhere else, and Very that's good. why that's why death and dying and all that is kind of ephemeral at this level, except it's taken very seriously at this level because that's another part of the control mechanism. Exactly. Well done. Thank you. Wow. Um, yeah, I, okay, I'm, I'm – Robert I'm is speechless. pleasantly surprised, Richard. No, no, no. I've never seen Robert being speechless. Okay, hold Robert yeah, yeah. there. Thank you, thank you. We're uh, we're going to take a break. We're on the other side of midnight. My guest this morning, Wilbur Allen and Robert Stanley, and I have no idea where this conversation could go. We come back, but we are going to come back. So don't you go away, because we're not going away. We shall return. Groundbreaking conversation. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes. 
Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side is midnight.com. are going to play a huge role in this unfolding story. I'm kind of intrigued, Robert, that you didn't kind of connect the whole DC thing with the Egyptian symbology, which of course is about cats. And when you look at Mars, you look at all our work on Mars and all the various people that we brought in. Kinthea is a member of this crew and Keith Laney and Andrew Curry and, and Tim. And I mean, you're going to see a full-fledged story fleshed out that at its heart, has something to do with cats. Now, I don't want to imprint on the matrix yet what that might mean, but cats are a huge part of this. I'm talking in in in, in basically feline terminology because, of course, the face on Mars, remember, and I unveiled at the UN many years ago, is half hominid, half connected to us, our simian side, our anthropomorphic side, and half feline. It's a big damn pussycat. So the fact that there's a demon cat running around the capital that keeps appearing in the nation's capital, which is dedicated to Egyptian mythology, why do you think you got that big damn hulking monument sitting in the middle of the mall? It's an Egyptian obelisk, guys. Come on. So getting with the program, this is going to all hit the year in this year of the cat, which is 2017, so how do we make it real? How do we put this up on a, on a website? We, in fact, have a companion website to the other side of midnight called Other Side of Midnight. And it seems to me like we ought to have kind of a live running aspect of that website to where we're monitoring in real time 24-7 what's going on over the Capitol in the year when it's going to hit 
the fan. Here, kitty, 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 kitty. <laughs> uh, it isn't just in the sky. Uh, these guys are, and whoever they are 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 definitely uh, interacting. You you they're not just going there to sightsee from the sky. They they have to be interacting, and I I get into that in the second book. There's I know a lot of this is unsubstantiated. You can't substantiate it. Unsubstantiated. All right. You can't prove some of these reports, but taken collectively, it really tells quite a story that there's so much going on on the ground. Uh, again, that they don't want us to know about because it is a bit unsettling. But I, I agree with you. Okay, we have I, to get I, back I want to. In, in the last hour, uh, Wilbur, uh, tonight we're going to reserve an entire hour to talk about the disappearances, the tens of thousands okay. of people who are disappearing. But as a run-up before the top of the hour, Robert, why don't you kind of intro? You've encountered and and looked at and researched some really bizarre things happening on the ground in D.C. But yep. apparently are connected to this aerial tableau, but are not aerial at all. They're actually physical things happening to real three-dimensional people. Take right. it away. And one of the cases uh, was given to me by Wilbur. Um, we don't need to name the guy, but he, uh, there's a couple things like I'm thinking of. Uh, Wilbur, remember the, the school teacher that claimed to be abducted off the sidewalk while he was smoking a cigarette? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I most certainly uh, remember him. He He started – to freak out when he saw photographs of the objects that I photographed. Right. And then he told you, you somehow, I mean, when you say freaked out, he basically was having a panic attack and reliving he the had event. A panic attack, uh, right. Unlike anything I'd ever seen before. Actually, it was fear that overcame him. Right. It was an extreme panic attack. He said he was reliving being abducted in a pink light. He kept yelling something about pink bubble gum because it, it felt like Hang on, like hang, it on was, hang on. How, how, how did you guys find each other? Wilbur, how did you show him pictures? And Robert, I, how did I you? I had a friend who was uh, a client who I was doing album covers for, and he just happened to have the school teacher with him that was tagging along. And um, I said, oh. well, I, I photographed these UFOs, and I, I started to show it to him. And I had a big screen monitor up at the time, and as I started showing the photographs, the school teacher stood up and started shaking like oh, as if he was having God. a seizure. Yes. So this is a random occurrence, nothing right. pre-planned, just an average nothing D.C. citizen. I never met the guy before in my life until he came in with a friend of mine I was doing the album cover for who just – he had gotten the money from this school teacher to do the actual album cover – and that the guy wanted to meet, and we came in and started talking about UFOs. And as I started showing the photographs, he freaked out. See, in a courtroom setting, <clears throat> excuse me, that would be called an excited utterance, something <laughs> not pre-planned. No, no, but it's very important yeah, to be legalistic yeah. because yeah, that's yeah. how you judge the authenticity. Right. I mean, this is stunningly authentic, Wilbur. So describe what, what, what you did. What happened? Well, I, I was showing the photographs of the objects that I photographed at the Capitol building, and, and one of the sets of photographs just happened to show the – well, at, at the U.S. Capitol building at the time, there were four luminous objects in formation. The lead two objects were green, and the back two objects were modulating red, amber, um, yellow – actually yellow, red, and blue, and green. It was just modulating these colors. And as it was modulating the colors, I saw what appeared to be uh, smaller objects, thousands of them, which seemed to be dripping off of them. And I photographed that. That's also up on my website. But it, it showed that. And as I showed that to the school teacher, he 
immediately stood up as if, as if there was something wrong with him. He had his eyes were just bulging out of his head, and he started shaking, and, and, and it almost as seemed as if he was having a psychological breakdown at that point. Mm. Right, but he did relay at some point. He, you've managed to get information out of him that the reason he was I, reacting I was like that bubble gum and all of that, right. which I thought was a bit abstract. But <laughs> later on in the course of my research, I photographed this anomaly that that just happened to fly by, and its color was fuchsia pink, and it was abstract that I would just recall the fact that the school teacher had claimed to have seen or had been encompassed by a bubble gum beam, which he no, called he, a bubble gum. He, well, I remember this very carefully. He uh, clearly he was walked outside to smoke a cigarette outside of his yeah. apartment, and a beam of pink light engulfed him and took him up into the ship. He was returned later. We never did get the details. Not that it really matters, but it obviously affected him badly. He right? was warped at that point. Yes. All right. Okay. Now let's talk briefly about um, Gordy Jenkins, please. Oh yeah, I told him last week. My friend Gordon uh, oh, you who did was tell doing him a. Sanitary. Yeah, we spoke about that. Okay, never mind then. No, 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 no. But for those people uh, no, tuning no, in, get back in. Sorry, sorry. It. Yeah, but yeah. With, for with, those people without, who are tuning in, Gordy's interaction with what he had encountered at the Senate hearing with with John Glenn a year later on the Senate side of the Capitol building, I have a close encounter. So basically, right. it substantiated what Gordon had claimed. But the people who were supervisors at ABC dismissed him and put him on psychological on a psychological leave he went no for, you told me he first was taken to he was taken forcibly out by the u.s capitol police removed by the u.s capitol police and, and taken later on to, he was put into a mental institution for wow. a short period of time which it didn't work and okay uh, but now let's for everybody who doesn't know the story gordy was a type a personality he ran a crew of how many people he ran the entire White House for ABC News. Okay, so this is not some crackhead off the street. This is a man who's very intelligent, highly uh, skilled, and he and on top of it all, he's a leader in the sense he has leadership capacity to to run an entire team, which is is like clockwork. It's like a freaking clockwork what you guys did, right? In order to coordinate everything worked, and broadcast worked, it, everything coordinated and everything worked perfectly. Okay, so for his. For so he had to like have, that. He had to have. He had to have. Let me interrupt here. Go ahead, go ahead, he had to have people skills, managerial skills, political skills to deal with the bureaucracy of Washington, technical skills to know what was needed. So he he, he was basically a, a, a super manager. And yep. during David Group Seven engineer, which is top of the line for the broadcasters union. And during was this a press conference that Glenn was holding, or was it a Capitol Hill he was hearing? Having a press conference, it was in fact uh, indeed regarding his trip, which he went back into space. As the and, oldest man. Um, yeah. yeah, he was the oldest man in space. And um, prior oh, to this that, was, well, this was prior to when he was going to go up on the shuttle that uh, uh, yeah. Dan, uh, what's his name, the head of NASA, uh, had Golden. allowed him. Golden. Dan, Dan Golden, Golden had had given him permission at seventy-seven. To fly on the shuttle, they tailored a shuttle mission around him specifically, yep. and he was, I guess, this is a press conference to announce that and the details of that. He was a guinea pig for NASA. They wanted to yeah. see what what would happen to an elderly person if they were sent into space. Well, you know that part of the 300 families are a whole bunch of very elderly people who would like to be able to go somewhere else than here at some point. So that was he was a test case for them. I'm hearing music. We're on the top of the hour. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. You're on the other side of midnight, and we shall return. 
WBCQ, Monticello, Maine, USA. WXME, AM 780, Monticello, Holton, Presque Isle. As you're going to hear a lot about in the coming weeks and months, cats are extraordinarily important to this saga, this story. Before we get to the disappearances of people, Robert, I think you wanted to talk about the kind of the sum total of your research, being immersed in this in this fusillade of unbelievable information and trying to organize it and make it coherent. You've come to certain conclusions about the mm-hmm. multidimensional reality of who we homo sapiens really are oh my god do you realize what a can of worms you just opened up richard i i mean yes. i know you that's a rhetorical question <laughs> <laughs> Go for look it. At it. oh my god really all right um so yeah most people understand or believe that they have a soul but we they don't know we're not permitted to understand where it came from and how it got to be in this simulation here in this so-called third dimension and um Part of it is that um, the conflict of good and evil that we see raging around us all the time is really an opportunity for us to to grow um, in not only in awareness but through experience. It's not all intellectualized, okay? We have to get engaged. We have to make choices, and that's really the difference is what sort of determines. It's like setting a course on the sea. You know, you have to – of course, you're going to run into turbulence at times, but uh, – this isn't all bad. I don't want to scare people. I mean, the media is doing a really good job of that. And um, I, I'm actually more wanting to inspire people. Uh, I'm very optimistic about everything that I've learned, even though it's been really, very, very difficult and frustrating at times. I'm, I'm, I feel fortunate to gotten this far. And as I said, I really appreciate all the hard work that you've done and obviously Wilbur and a handful of other people that are just really, I think, um, being of service 
as this isn't just entertaining, although sometimes it can be, um, we're here to experience things that actually allow for our the, uh, further growth of our soul, which uh, is to me, it, it, it's like a seed of light in a garden and it's growing. And um, God, how to really, we're going to, <laughs> you asked me, so I'm trying to answer this, but it's, it's. Uh, <clears throat> well, how, you obviously were not born with this. You were thrown into no. the deep end of the pool. Exactly. You, you have, you've learned about this through painstaking research. And Trial that and research, error. Yeah. In, in, like in all of us, one level of research leads to another level, leads to another level. Right. It's kind of like the interconnections on the internet. You click on right. You know, succeeding websites, and that's what I used to do initially. It was just go click, click, click to see where it would take me. And this research has taken me in places I would never, even ten years ago, imagine that I would have data to actually mm. support. But again, True. like that old Marin joke, the light bulb has to want to change. People have to <laughs> want to really know. And I've encountered an awful lot of people. Uh, one of Robin's relatives, I think her her dear departed mother who told me, well, don't tell me that because if it did, it would make life meaningless. Wow. So there's a whole bunch of people, Robert, that don't want to know, that want to stay stuck. How True. do we, as a publisher, as an editor, as a researcher, as a reporter, how do we unstick those people? Well, um, that's a very good question. Um, that's why you have... big bucks here. Movie <laughs> 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 companies are mod <laughs> modifying everything in that sense, too. Say it again? The movie companies putting out films oh, yeah, yeah, which yeah. make things seem real and they're not. I mean, the Star Wars trilogy, the trilogies that are out there. I mean, it makes things, in my terms of research, difficult because people are expecting to see a Death Star or, or a spacecraft from Star Wars to fly into my videos, yeah. and that's not the case. Well, I heard what you said. Now, the thing is, we are – God. We have You have the will. time. Take a deep breath. Uh, we have the yeah, time. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to say this in a way that isn't going to be too over the top. We have to make choices for ourselves. And a lot of times we're, if we're given um, false information, basically lied to, we tend to make bad choices based on that. So, so part of the control mechanism is to give us false bad data so we yes. make bad choices. So and the it keeps free will is constantly being interrupted by a control that does not give us the information to make the right choice. Yeah, it's not like they're violating it 100%. They're just tweaking it. They're 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 misleading us, okay, on purpose. They, well, the way they do this is through confusion or chaos, and they do that frequently. And it it is confusing, and it causes people to make some very bad decisions. And in the res, as a result, they end up staying here time and time again through different lives. They are recycled, and they come back, and they forget. And after a while, if you do that enough, it becomes very hard to realize who you are, where you are, how you got here, and more importantly, how to get out back back to the something that is not just a simulation or, and I don't mean a computer. It's a projection. It's a copy. This is a copy where this dimension is is being projected from a, a higher frequency, and it's been altered so that. Um, Okay, so if this so is wait, a, wait, 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 hang on, hang on. When you say a copy, you mean there is a real reality, yep. and then this is a kind of a faded copy of the real reality. Well, and it's also been tweaked. It's been mo um, modified uh, by various entities. In other words, it's a if you, this is like a, a a video game. Every time you play the game, there's different outcomes, but you have basic rules, right? Whatever the rules are. 
um, those cannot be modified because they've been written by a programmer. I'm not saying we're in a computer. I'm just saying this is the way it goes with consciousness. These are all thoughts, thought forms or rules, dictates, whatever you want to call them. And uh, such as the two objects, two physical objects cannot be in the same space at the same time. That is a rule. It's not exactly true because physical objects don't even, they're not physical. When you look at it at the subatomic level, it's just energy vortices uh, whirling around each other. Mm-hmm. But it, it's sufficient enough. I would have to say it's, when I say a simulation, it's a virtual reality in that regard. So a portion there are of some a, interesting, hang on, there's some interesting breaks in that reality. Like I've got, and I, I don't think we're going to post it because it would be too much tonight okay. to put on, on Kinthea, but there is a video, and I may post it tomorrow night when we talk with Georgia Lambert about reality. Because mm-hmm. these, two, these two conversations, tonight's and tomorrow night's, are connected. Tomorrow mm-hmm. night's conversation is going to be the astrological impact of the great eclipse of 2017 on mm-hmm. Donald J. Trump and the Trump administration. There are uh, huge things going on at the level of the force, at the level of the torsion field, and right. it looks like the White House is playing. I mean, uh, Donald Trump disappeared for 17 ritual you know, Egyptian ritual days to Bedminster, New Jersey, while the White House is being physically redone. Mm. And he's coming back to Washington at the height of the great eclipse of 2017. Now, you can't tell me that's not orchestrated. And it's yeah. orchestrated to have a symbolic and psychological and consciousness impact. What Donald Trump is going to do when he comes back, <clears throat> excuse me, is up for grabs. But I don't think we're going to see the continuity of what's happening before the eclipse to what's happening after the eclipse. And that's part of the second part of this conversation, or the third part, if you count last week with Wilbur, that we're going to have tomorrow night on the other wow. side of midnight. So one thing Trump is true about, the White House inside is indeed a dump. <laughs> yeah, Wil- Wilbur would know. I've been inside there except for the rooms that were presidential, the remainder of the place. It's a dump. Okay, so Jackie did not redo the entire White House. Well, it's well, that no, was a while ago. I can agree with him. He needs to definitely upgrade the White House because, indeed, from what I was working in, it was grungy, to say the least. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Okay, that's a whole other show. So let's get back to your evolution. Because, okay. Robert, you've yeah. had incredible metaphysical consciousness evolution over the period of this research. Yeah, about three decades or so. Of really intense, yeah, it's been very intense. Not something I actually, I, I'm not, I'm, well, whatever. It's, it is what it is. Uh, one of the things with DC and other places around the planet that you've been um, documenting with these energy fields is that uh, they're called telluric energies that flow through the planet. Obviously, it's the planet's connected to all the other planets. And, but what is important to notice about this in, in Washington, DC is that it's, um, uh, it's set up like a circuit board intentionally and and they're using that the elite have always known about this uh how to manipulate the the flow of those currents and and affect various things such as human behavior with yeah this this again is a physics and a knowledge base that is kept from the great unwashed which i've always hated that term but it's been kept by an elite group for their own use for their own empowerment for their own benefit and not allowed to be even be discussed in polite society. So it's the giggle factor. It's the, oh, it's silly. It's not real. It's, it's, it's just, you know, fake. It's pseudoscience. It's not. It's none of those things. 
It's propaganda against a reality which is so much bigger than we've been allowed to look at. And the idea that you have phenomenology occurring over D.C. that nobody wants to look at is, is, is kind of an example number one, you know, exhibit number one of the things we're never supposed to really know. It's a Jedi mind trick. Yeah. Sort of. I mean, psychological warfare, whatever you want to call it. But yes, this but is then, why hang mind- on, hang on, hang yeah. on. Then George Lucas, who's on the inside of the inside of the inside, yeah. has given us this series of movies. Wilbur, you said something before about Star Wars in a kind of a derogatory sense. See, in our reconstruction, Star Wars is real. It's our own mankind's history. history. Well, that's, Fictionalized, that's the basis yeah. of what they're expecting extraterrestrials right. to look like and it's but that's different that, no no but see that that's that's confusing the, uh, the, the 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 map with the territory the fact is that most people when they see a special effect that's what they are going to be wowed by and if, if reality doesn't wow them at that level it's like ho-hum it's like oh it's just points of light oh it's not you know something out of close encounters but it's the story behind the special effects behind the cgi that we should be paying attention to because those storylines, those tentpole storylines, they're all at some level true. At least that's been my understanding, having been at this for a few years longer than you, Robert. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and this is the synergistic effect of Wilbur and I working together. His photographs needed a context, a story. I mean, yes, a picture tells a thousand words, but some of these pictures were really abstract, and they needed uh, quite a few words, quite a few, what I wrote over 800 pages. Uh, okay, yeah. over a period of eight years, about not just Wilbur experiences, but it, it didn't happen in a vacuum. Oh, you know, like, I mean, what, 10 days later, NORAD scrambled jets to chase the same thing that Wilbur had photographed at the Capitol. And that's when the media paid attention. Well, Fox News did, uh, because I think uh, NPR Radio or somebody. had scrambled from Andrews to right. intercept what they said to be this blue and orange object that left F-16 standing in the dust. Right. Based on what people on the ground saw. I mean, so does the military know about it? Of course they do. They sc- oh, and I remember oh, that guy it? was. No, they won't. N- no, no. In fact, that one guy, uh, who was the guy that you contacted at Andrews or uh, wrote you and said you're, he tried to command you not to talk about it? Was, uh, it was a guy at NORAD that threatened oh, me right. not to talk. Wait, wait, wait. He's military. You're a civilian. He's trying to command the guy who, who pays his salary not to talk about this. No, it was he, was an telling, he was telling me not to talk, and that you know because he was a captain in NORAD. But you know I'd worked with the president of the United States, and to me, if it's not the president or God telling me what to do, I'm not going to listen to a captain. But you, but hey, let's touch on what your dad said before he passed away. I know it's a yeah. We, we have a, we have about four minutes to the break. Uh, Wilbur, tell us about your dad. My my, my dad. I, I'd had the close encounter, and and I was showing the pictures to my father was on his deathbed on his computer and immediately he said don't show those pictures to anyone and I wonder why he didn't want me to show those pictures to anyone and I was going through his photographs from Vietnam and what he had photographed in Vietnam were green spheres and the green spheres that I photographed at the Capitol he had concluded were the same things he encountered in Vietnam during the Vietnam War and and photographed and photographed so back to the metaphysics. If this yep. is a virtual simulation, there are some videos now that are out there. For instance, uh, a couple of years ago when I started the show, I think in August, about a month after we've been on the year, 
Um, every year they hold what's called the Augusta National. It's a big golf you know, tournament held in Augusta, Georgia. And in this particular year, and I've got the video racked up, we can put it up for tomorrow night. There were three successive holes in one well, by three successive golfers, all within a few minutes, all on exactly the same hole. <laughs> now, that statistically is impossible. Yeah, that is. You know, that's, that's just impossible. Yeah. Totally, totally, totally impossible. But that's only one glitch in the matrix that shows mm-hmm. that either someone was doing that to get people to pay attention. Hey, right. folks, reality is not exactly what you think. Or it was a, a real glitch in the matrix, a la uh, Musk and Hawking and others who claim this is a computer simulation. Mm-hmm. What about things I'm getting repeatedly on the same day, except it's the same day on a different year? That's something we'll talk about when we come back from the break, because I do want to, and then I want to get to the to disappearing people, because we've got to devote yes. more time to disappearing people. I mean, this could go there. There, there, there was a there was a very famous um, uh, football team, which of course is soccer in England, right. in some little tiny obscure town that never won anything, and suddenly. They won the whole damn schmoozle out of nowhere. And like nobody looks at this and says, wait, wait, this is not statistically possible. This is not – there's something going on. There's something bizarre going on. Then did you happen to see the video, Robert, of the uh, Major League Baseball game about a year ago? I forget what team was playing what team. But the catcher uh, basically takes a hit directly to his chest plate, and the ball stays there. What? On live television, he can't remove the ball. There's no glue. There's no adhesives. The ball simply is stuck to his chest protector. And on live television, with all the commentary and the camera zooming in, he can't remove the ball. And wow. you think reality is linear. No, reality is not linear. And that's what we're trying to figure out on the other side of midnight. My guest this morning, Wilbur Allen and Robert Stanley. With lots and lots of people watching and peering in and looking over our shoulders, and we shall return. Over 180 episodes. 
Membership cost $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Support the broadcaster to provide you with the most interesting conversation available. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side is midnight.com. Sabbath, Heaven, and Hell. And uh, I'm not sure how that fits into the iconography and the mythology and the metaphysic we've been discussing, but it's a, it's a, it's a far cry from, you know, lights in the sky or nuts and bolts vehicles, which is the conventional UFO interpretation of what we're seeing, to things that are much more at the edge of reality and the blending of dimensions and the exposition of who the heck are we really and what are we all doing in this place and how can we how can we find a way out of the maze? How can we take control back from controllers who have been doing a damn good job, I must say, over the several decades I've been on this planet, of keeping people kind of confined, thinking within the lines, thinking, you know, not be on the edge of the paper, not too far out, not too far so let's go to disappearing people. Uh, Wilbur, when you were on the show last Saturday night, you introduced a subject that I find stunningly important and fascinating. You have a correlation between the things you were photographing in the skies over D.C., people literally disappearing off the streets of downtown Washington as measured by the disappearance of their cell phone signals. Yes. Even even more compelling is the fact that what's what what's being imaged by my cameras, and I mentioned last week that my cameras are set up essentially the same nightly, and that with that particular setup, it, it enables me to um, establish north, south, east, and west exactly, and that with what I'm filming, when the objects materialize, their trajectories have them headed towards northeast D.C. And it's ironic that on the nights that the objects materialized on my video, that people in northeast D.C., the direction in which these objects were headed, were disappearing off the streets um, without a trace. And what's even more compelling of that is when they vanished, that their cell phone signals also vanished. So that's the one thing that I thought was most interesting in this entire story of what I'm documenting late at night. 
So something like almost a thousand people since the beginning of the year have vanished in in in, in D.C. Am I am, am I correct on right that? Right now, from what I'm from what they're saying, it's it's in almost 800 people. It's, oh my it's god! The beginning of the year, but on on the samples that I have on the fifth of January in 2017, which is the beginning of this year, the object that I photographed was this tube-like object cylinder. It was immense in size because I used a 24-millimeter lens when I was filming that night, and the object that materialized into the video was taking up basically 10% of the image area, which would essentially say to me that its size in terms of its volume would probably be in the ballpark of an aircraft carrier or two in terms of its overall length. And so a 24-millimeter a, a lens is a wide, wide-angle lens, right? A wide-angle lens, yes. And what you see in this wide-angle lens is this solid, high-definition object shaped like a capsule. And that with the uh, lens technology that I was using and the camera technology that I was using, as this object materialized, it incrementally materialized into the airspace. But what was the most uh, selling, in my opinion, was its trajectory and the direction it was headed was exactly in line with the reports associated to missing people in Washington, D.C. on that day. So the theory would be that something materializes over D.C., it then beams up certain people and then disappears back into the hyperspace it emerged from that you record on film or on digital electronics, yes. of course. Yes. And, and then that repeats. Yes, continually. And what's more compelling is the fact that when I image these objects, on the nights that I do have the substantial samples, which I've shared with you, on each of those nights, people vanished. And I'm looking now, for the data from the 6th and from the 9th of this month. Okay. Now let's go back to the other side of midnight.com. That's our homepage. Click on the various links to today's show, the guest, whatever. That will take you to the guest page. Scroll down. Uh, we have a number of images. Uh, we have under Robert's section. Let's go all the way down to Wilbur. And there are there are various images there. Wilbur's item, Wilbur Allen's items, number one, number two, number three. Why don't you describe these these uh, videos and tell us what we're seeing? I've got to go to that page. Um, I, I may be seeing something different here because I see my you links. Have to, you have to refresh. Okay, well, 806 2017 and there's 809 2017 are. Uh, videos that were taken from my POV, my uh, fixed pool of analysis. And on those particular days, I set up the camera exactly the same, the same lens configuration, the same shutter speed. Everything was essentially the same on the 6th as it was on the 9th. And on both of those days, which were three days apart, I imaged what I call the band of light UFO, which was initially documented in 1960 by Grumman and documented again in 1986 Japan Airlines Flight 1628 uh, over Alaska, and those two videos together, and with the same lens configuration and the same shutter speed configuration in which both videos were captured, I made a composite, and it essentially showed what appears to be, in my opinion, the exact same aircraft or spacecraft. Mm. Or something, because remember, I... Or something, I, yeah. I, I took a look at some of your frame grabs, and I didn't produce anything I wanted to publish yet. But if you zoom in and enhance these frames, 
Those are not streaks. Those are not light streaks. Those are not like star trails where you open the shutter and the earth turns and the stars track. associated blurs or anything like that. No, and and they're they're not like time-lapse images of taillights on a freeway. No, no. Those are, Robert, those are detailed waveforms, multicolored waveforms forming in the air or in the in the in the sky that the camera's looking at and moving across the field of view but if you could see them if you could stop frame them with a high enough shutter speed to where you would actually still be able to see them they are like waving oscilloscope traces they're not they're not just streaks of light it's a field no, propulsion system. Yes, it's yeah. some kind yeah. of field, some kind of energy, some kind of energy effect, uh, dimensional energy effect, torsion field effect. These Fractals. are energetic signatures. Yeah. But if you're if you're used to looking at Star Wars or Close Encounters, they look so banal compared right. to the special effects of the mainstream movies that nobody <laughs> is going to take a look at this and say, "Oh my God, what's that?" Right. Until you do on, the analysis, the film and, and and they would think that it was caused by the camera as yeah. a glitch, but that is not the case. Well, See, hold on a second. Wait, wait, wait. Before we leave this topic, you know, you you I know you guys touched on the sound signatures that's coming out of this that the camera camera or not sound, but the energy that was picked up and we we hear is it a sound in the camera? But Will, did you tell everybody about the attacks? on your camera and how that manifested on no, the cameras? No, you did not. Well, no, no I, had, I had several times, and I would be talking to Robert, and on one case... Oh, wait, wait. Start, at the, start at the beginning, date, time, I, what I year? would have to go on my website. I know the exact same, the day that it happened, but it, it was an event of this object that flew by, and as the object flew by, um, my camera went dead. And for some strange region, uh, the camera would not reinitialize. So when I the camera down and sent the camera to Nikon, the titanium shutter had been destroyed. Something had battered it, like took, it, took a hammer and hit it. <laughs> Wait a minute. Which is not possible. There were dents inside the camera on the shutter to mechanically deform it so it wouldn't operate as a shutter. Impossible. Impossible. It, it happened exactly at the time when the object passed by, and as it went through the entire frame, when it went to the other side of the frame, the camera dies. Okay, so someone knows you're photographing them and yeah. reached out the equivalent of a tractor beam or whatever, or you know, glib phrase yeah. you want to use. destroyed my camera and destroyed and, it. But they didn't destroy the camera. They destroyed one component in the camera. Which is which super strong. It down. Titanium. And they did it shutter. with, well, right, the shutter. They did it with something that we typically call the Hutchison effect. I think that's what it is, right? Remotely, they melted it or dis- dis- disintegrated. Re- you know, they disturbed well, the integration. Well, we'll, we'll use the term it, battered. It happened twice. It happened twice, actually. Now, was right. it melted? Was it melted, Wilbur, or was it battered? Was it physically mangled? It, it, according according to Nikon, it, from what they asked me, they asked me if somebody had stuck something into the shutter, and and I said no, it's impossible. Because I'm not the type of person that, first of all, would stick anything into my cameras knowing that I make money with these things. Why would I destroy it? But it destroyed the shutter of a D4 Nikon. just completely destroyed it. Okay, before we get back to disappearing people, talk a bit about the sounds and the visual. Because you and I had this off-air conversation midweek, and it took me a little while to understand what you were saying. When you're recording these apparitions, these so-called streaks that are actually much more interesting and complex and not simple 
time-lapse images of stars or Not aircraft. Yes. Okay. There are sounds recorded on the on the digital track with the appearance. Not only the sounds, but you see what appears to be a nuclear green contrail. With if you look up uh, reports of anomalies that have been witnessed and reported by people, say as far as Australia and in England. The nuclear green contrail associated to the white light seems to be something that's consistent with each of the reports. And what I'm imaging essentially is the, I would believe, to be the uh, spacecraft's propulsion matrix and its contrail okay, let, associated. Let us go back to the sounds. You know, this is kind of like my grandmother running a race with a heifer. We've got to keep a linear track here. So you're recording these visual things that are not light streaks. They're much more complex energetic phenomena. They have a trail behind them that appears to me to be luminescence in the atmosphere. It's kind of like a persistence effect of the, of the air around they're, this. They're, they're close by. That's the problem. Yeah. They're not in the atmosphere. They're, they're within close proximity of the camera because I'm using conventional lenses, a 24-millimeter lens, a 50-millimeter lens, an 85-millimeter lens, a 200-millimeter lens. These are conventional lenses. These are not the type of lenses that you would put onto your camera and see in the outer space. That's not going to happen. What I'm imaging is with <laughs> yeah, but, 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 but when the I, when I say the lens what, the when I but when I say in the atmosphere, if it's inches away from the camera, that's still in the atmosphere unless you live in True. a vacuum, Wilbur. Okay. Okay. So let's keep our. So we're talking definite. inner space with my 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 samples are strictly inner space, but when they fly by and there is this contrail which appears to be this nuclear green laser beam type effect, there's a sound associated to them, and the camera records that along with the video, and it's recording on, hang that. On, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. When does when you when when you're seeing the image, recording the image, does the sound come simultaneous with the image, or is there a delay like lightning thunder? In both cases, it's it's both there and then it it goes away as the object goes away. It's simultaneous. It's instantaneous. There's a Doppler effect a little bit, yeah, but well, it real is time, yes. and it, but, but it's it, not every it's not every time, right? Well, no, it's not on all of the samples. It's on four right. samples out of out of seventeen hundred. But the four samples that do have sounds, each sound that's recorded is unlike anything anyone has ever heard before. But are they all the same sounds on all four times? No. No, they're not. Really? Oh, not interesting. So hang on. If, 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 I, if, if, I were to oh. click on, if I were to click on this video on the screen, would we hear the sound with it? Yes. Okay. All, all, faint, the, all, you all can the video hear. and sound are in sync because the camera's recording 4K video – and it's also recording high definition, 7.1 DTS surround sound audio. Okay, since this is radio, let's play this and see if you can hear the sound. Okay. You have to crank it up, but you'll hear it. I'm seeing streaks. I'm seeing. I'm hearing no sound. You might have to crank it up. I'm not sure if the video audio component is on the videos that you have, but on my That's YouTube. That's what I asked you. That's audible. exactly what I asked you. <laughs> but they're, they're, the, it's recorded. It's, Wilbur, it's Wilbur, video Wilbur, and audio are a, in sync. They're, it's the video. You're, you're a producer's nightmare. I needed video <laughs> with the sound simultaneously available. I, I gave you video with sound, Richard. It's, it's all part it? of the video. Well, Where is I'm it? surprised that it's not Where? there because the videos that I sent had sound. But okay. the video which the camera records, when the objects do appear, the sound is in sync with the objects as yeah, they I've pass heard through it. the frame. I know, but I want, I want people I to hear I know you do. Uh, it is playing, kind of faint. Hang on. I'm playing Go another ahead. one. 
I'm seeing this thing moving across the sky. I'm hearing no sound. So these videos Maybe your, audio, your video volume is turned down because the audio is associated to each video track. It's part of the part of the presentation. Hang on. Be silent. Let me hear it again. No, there is there is no sound associated on this. None. There, there should be. There's a problem then with your player because each video file, it, the video and audio components are part of the presentation oh, we, we, itself. It, if you're if you're listening carefully, you can hear there's sound, but it just sounds like background noise. It doesn't sound like. In other words, the uh, the, the, the there is sound there on the tape or on the on the uh, right. Listen with headphones. You're using Listen with headphones. You'd have to yeah, I, this is true. I, yes, you do hear the ambient city sounds, and then in the yeah. background, it's very faint. It's like it's, okay, I'll tell you what. For next time, I need yeah. to amp up amplified <laughs> of that sound, Wilbur. Okay. I yeah, Wilbur, would, you could do I, that. I would have to to notch out the background and filter out ambient noise, but exactly. yeah, I probably could get that frequency so, to play itself. Let us do that, okay? When you when you claim something, you got to prove it. You got to demonstrate it. Well, we've got I've got the proof without a doubt. All one would but have if, to do is say. If no one can hear, I crank the volume way up. All I'm hearing is city sounds. I'm not hearing Shakespeare. Okay. I'm not hearing anything that's synchronized, and we should Will, hear it. Well, so. send me the link. I will record the audio on um, my computer and then send an MP3 of it to Richard. Super. Okay, not a problem. Okay, mm-hmm. excellent. Okay, now let's get to disappearing people. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I want to do this in two stages, okay? Um when we talked about this last week, one of the things we'd introduced too late in the show was Wilbur being called as a technical consultant to be flown to to Alaska, to a place where apparently over the last several decades, something like 20,000 people have disappeared. Well, hey, so Wilbur, yes. start at the Mount beginning. Alaska. Start at yes. the beginning and tell me, A, when did you become aware of this? Why did they come to you? What did they want you to do? And what did you find? Well, I was selected by the producers of the show because we had worked together on other projects. One of the projects we worked on was a show called Twisted Believers Tornado Alley. Which this was, was on the History Bowl. Channel, right? This was on the was History on, Channel? No, this is on the weather. It's an NBC Universal program. It's on the weather channel on the Sci-Fi Network. Oh, okay. But we would go out, and my crew and I, when I would say something would happen, and the crew would be there with me when I would make these claims – and I'd set up my camera, and the camera would record the events that I claimed would, would happen, but the crew would be there to witness it. So I've got witnesses that associate the videos that I have, and most people think that they're fake or staged. But the witnesses there who were the crew that worked with me would claim without a doubt that what we would encompass or what we would encounter would be something other than conventional aircraft, and we documented that. So. They would bring me in because of the technology that I was utilizing at the time, and every time they'd bring me in on a television show, I would upgrade my technology. And for the History Channel, I was using a D4S Nikon, which at the time was a 400 ASA camera, 400,000 ASA camera, I'm sorry, and it enabled me to go into the North Pole and photograph um, without the use of flashes or any kind of lights, the events that were transpiring in front of us on uh, while we were doing the expedition towards Mount Hazel. Okay, hang on. We're getting far too far afield. How did they contact you to go to Alaska? Why did they – why if they're well, they disappearing – hang on, hang on, hang on. Wilbur, Wilbur, you've got to listen carefully because people are going to get lost. I cannot have people lost. I'm lost. <laughs> why did Why did the History Channel want to go to Alaska 
to do a story on mysterious disappearing people and wind up bringing in a UFO expert who's photographing lights in the sky? What's the connection between disappearing people and lights in the sky in Alaska? Well, the lights in the sky in Alaska and the people who vanished that would witness them uh, would be one of the connections. But there was an incident at Mount Hayes where there were two climbers, and one of the climbers decided to go farther up up on the glacier to, to see what was up on the top of the glacier. And as he was getting towards the top of the glacier, he looked up and saw what he said was a green luminous sphere. And the green luminous sphere was just zigzagging around the top of the glacier. And it kind of frightened him, so he decided to come down from his climb. And back at the base camp where the other person was, which he was with, the other person just simply vanished. And the footprints leading to the base camp showed footprints going to the camp, but no footprints going away from the camp. And it was concluded that that person that was at the base camp that vanished was taken by the green sphere that the climbers saw on top of Mount Hayes. Okay, when you say it was concluded... Who did the concluding? Who was brought in? What authorities? How did History Channel? Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. How did History Channel get involved? Who did he report to? Was he a UFO nut? In other words, someone who follows this stuff all the time? Was he just an average civilian who had an incredible encounter and his friend went missing? In other words, give us the the details of the story because you're talking about a human being who vanished. Well, I'm, I'm reluctant to say that initially the the initial source of the information was MUFON Alaska, and the information that was provided to the producers was basically based on um, evidence which indicated the people that would vanish would be under mysterious circumstances of, of for example, on some of the cases when people would vanish in Alaska – there would be sightings of UFOs. And now, hang on, hang on. Is this, is, is this part of the record of local sheriffs, or are we talking the Alaska State Police? Um, Alaska has a missing per- persons bureau, and the information provided to them is on all of the reports, uh, especially with the people who disappeared under mysterious circumstances. But the mysterious circumstances is what they were bringing me in to, to explore, because Based on a history of Mount Hayes from the area which I was sent to research, in the 1950s, there was an incident where a Russian satellite passed over Mount Hayes, and it deactivated itself. And when it went out of the range of Mount Hayes, it reactivated itself. Oh. And Americans thought that there was an issue with some kind of technology that some other uh, agency or force was utilizing in that area. So when an American satellite passed over Mount Hayes, the same thing happened. It malfunctioned. It turned itself off. And as it passed out of range of Mount Hayes, it reactivated. Okay, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Got to do this linearly. Where is Mount Hayes relative to Anchorage, Fairbanks? It's outside of of Anchorage. It's more along the Arctic Circle. It's in the most desolate area of Alaska. It's, in fact, um, very close, 250 miles from the geographic magnetic north pole and one of my one of my assumptions based on what i experienced while we were hiking to the glacier which was a 20 mile hike in 63 to 63 below zero weather at night yeah it was a hump it was very interesting but you would think it was cold but it wasn't like that we had actually at the end of the hike had to take off all of our clothes and and to stand there because we were drenching as if it was summertime, but it was actually 63 below zero at the top of that, that glacier. 
But what I documented when I set up my cameras, which was the D4S Nikon, was this luminous object, a sphere of sorts. And again, I was using the 24 millimeter lens because I wanted to get most of the airspace above the glacier and the glacier itself. And that what the camera documented was like what I'm imaging over my home on a daily basis was a sphere-like object, large, immense sphere object. It flew, materialized into the frame, flew into the frame slightly, and then dematerialized as it went beyond uh, Mount Hayes. And that was documented on a 60 frames per second motion picture. Now, when we, 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 only have, we, have, we only have two minutes till the break here, <clears throat> but uh, history brought you up. They have a budget. They have a production crew. Yep. Did you set up multiple cameras Kind of I like had multiple cameras running uh, while we were doing production. Yes. Okay. And did these phenomena appear on all the cameras? Some of the cameras? Uh, it was it was location. It was specifically uh, localized to certain regions, and one camera documented more than other cameras would. And the other camera wasn't necessarily aimed in an area of importance, but I deemed it necessity because I needed to know if something was flying into the area. Well, based on my research, these objects don't fly into the area. They materialize into it. So that was interesting. So we have but two phenomenologies. We have two phenomena occurring literally, you know, tens of thousands of miles apart, Alaska and D.C. But visually, the they look the same and exactly. they act the same. They don't exactly. fly in. They appear out of space, into space, through a gate, through a doorway, through a, a wormhole, exactly. whatever you want to call it. And you've exactly. got absolutely objective records of both phenomena and they apparently are UHD video yes the same okay hold it there you're on the other side of midnight this is Richard C. Hoagland doing dentistry on the air we shall return Make me believe 
Saturday night. I mean, this time has really flown by. It's it's eerie the way this stuff, you know, flows and flows. And, you know, we were having this call fair conversation about how a lot of this stuff is not linear. But in order to relate it to you, our audience, we have to try to make it linear, meaning stories have beginnings, middles and ends. So, Wilbur, they, they brought you up there to document aerial phenomena, mysteries going on with some of these disappearance cases. Um, how long were you there, and what what was your conclusion? I was there for two weeks, and my conclusion was, based on my point of view, that some of the people may have been taken by extraterrestrials. Interesting. And you have documented the phenomenon. Obviously, you haven't photographed people disappearing. Did 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 did, did the guy whose friend had disappeared at base camp? Did he ever reappear? Uh, no, he never was never recovered, and there were no traces of him. But what was abstract was the footprints leading to the camp. There were sets of footprints leading to his camp, but nothing leading out. So how can a person vanish and not leave footprints? Well, obviously, under normal well, circumstances. Obviously, they were taken, but yes, he oh. was taken. And Robert, let's look. For the fact there was no footprints. Robert, okay. let's widen the focus here a bit. <clears throat> yeah. We have disappearing people. You were sending me reports of tens of thousands of people disappearing now all over the world. Do you have a handle on how many? Is the rate increasing? Is is there some kind of, of nodal point coming up, you know, again in a short time frame? In other words, is all this coming to some kind of head, some kind of climax? Um, I can only answer part of that, and it's not conclusive, but the best work that I've seen Civilian-wise is uh, David Polites, missing 411, retired police officer, putting together these uh, databases, um, archives of missing people. He's been focused more on uh, wilderness areas, specifically national parks, but he's admitted that these kind of events uh, happen in cities as well. There is no logical explanation. Um, millions of people go missing, but most of them are found. Not all of them are alive, of course, but but there are thousands, as you said, tens of thousands of people around the world that just vanish without a trace, without any evidence of where they've gone or, or what happened to them. Now, what's really interesting to me is what David Paletti's reports is that sometimes these people come back very rarely, but they do, and they are incapable of explaining where they've gone, where they've what been. That is really interesting. Again, that shows the level of manipulation and control that's um, it's pretty sophisticated. And so he, so he has a list. Obviously, I need you to talk to him. He's been on he's, our show. He's been on yes. Georgia's show. But I'm mm-hmm. more interested in the actual uh, victims because I need to talk to some of these people, what they were doing before and what they wound up doing when they came back. I mean, uh, when they come back, is it days? Is it weeks? Is it years? There was a very famous TV series that ran on cable a couple of years ago, the 400 or the 4,000 or something about oh, a whole bunch of people that came back. Yes. Yes. I remember that. I think that was a religious thing though. Wasn't it? They got up, caught up in the rapture. No, uh, no, no, no. This, no this, 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 was, this was like ufology, straight ufology. Oh, okay. Um, but it sounds eerily parallel to that TV show, which probably was then was taken from some of these reports that can't make 
the uh, the news, but you could put anything well, it, on. It would on, be like Travis Walton's story. I mean, he vanished and was taken, and he was brought back. So essentially, what we're looking at is essentially the same thing, but in this case, most of the people that are taken are not brought back. See, that opens up. You know, we, we talked about very negative and dark aspects of this at the beginning of the show, uh, Robert. You know, the demon cat and all that. Right. <clears throat> There's that horrible perspective that they're being taken somewhere for dastardly purposes. You know, serve, remember that Twilight Zone episode to serve <laughs> to man. Serve man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> dinner. Or, <laughs> or, or, are these people agents? Meaning, like you, Wilbur, they remember being in contact with beings that are not of this world, that have paced them throughout their lives. And is their mission here, whatever reason they were here, is their mission over, and they basically go back to headquarters to be reassigned somewhere? Wow. That's a possibility, but in the cases of the missing here in D.C., which happen to be young African-American females, that wouldn't be the case. But what was more intriguing with what I was able to gather with the events when I would document them on film and the people that would vanish simultaneously as I'm documenting them per se, is that the cell phone signals would vanish. And that's one thing that indicates to me that either the cell phone was destroyed, which is a possibility, but they never find bits and pieces of a cell phone, or the cell phone signal itself has been neutralized. Or we're just talking beam me up, Scotty. Exactly. It's neutralized if they're inside a spacecraft, and they're, they're not going to get their signal out anyway because it's shielded. So nope. there's that possibility. And and I gathered from what I was able to document in Alaska with objects materializing and dematerializing that based on that physical evidence that the possibility of people being taken by extraterrestrials is one of the things that they need to look at, especially here in Northeast D.C. and in Alaska. Did Robert, have you ever yeah. broached any of this to your friends at the Capitol Police? Because it seems to me there needs to be some official government agency that's looking at this, yeah. and they've got to be looking at it clandestinely because they don't want to scare the bejesus out of people. Because if you were to tell people that you're walking down you know, D Street tomorrow and you could disappear, that wouldn't sit too well with most people. I've heard. I don't know about the Capitol Police. Will's, Will's actually interfaced with them more than I have, but uh, I, that's not their jurisdiction. No, that's there's, not their jurisdiction. Round of action is the Capitol. That's their yeah. jurisdiction. Outside of the Capitol, they can't do nothing. But if so somebody disappeared at the Capitol, so hang on. So I was going to say, unless a senator or an aide disappears on the Capitol grounds, they can't get right. involved. And, or, yes, they, they can. It goes to another agency. It steps up. It steps up okay. a notch, and that agency would either be the FBI or the NSA. Right. And it is that one. Okay, so briefly, Travis Walton was taken on board because he died. He was electrocuted accidentally when he ran up to that ship and tried to touch it. He was electrocuted, and then they brought him on board, and they brought him back to life is the way it was described to me. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. He doesn't deny it, He, but you know, at, this is just an aspect of it. it. I'm not saying they're all malevolent. They're clearly not. Like I said, we're sort of caught in a civil war here, and this is one of the reasons, like in war, the first casualty is truth, and we're not being given that. Well, it's very let's, difficult. Let's, let's widen our focus because okay. if there are lots of people being abducted, a term mm -hmm. I have never really liked. Me neither. And, 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 and the abductions seem to always come back, the ones that have stories, the ones that – you know, uh, John, uh, what's his name at Harvard? Uh, Mac. Uh, John oh, Mac, Mac. Um, who, by the way, met a very bizarre death in London. He stepped off a curb and got hit by a car 
A drunk, a drunk guy. He was supposedly was drunk. Yeah. yeah, supposedly. Unless he was mind controlled. In other words, there, there are so many. There are so many levels of this, and there are so many entities yes. involved. We're not dealing just with the extraterrestrial component. We're dealing with terrestrial components, including intelligence agencies, yes. including military, including you know super top one tenth of one hundredth of a percent elites. Mm-hmm. You know the upper three hundred. The witnesses. Kind of, you can't. You can't exclude the witnesses. Those people who are willing to talk about the things that they do see. And I've got witnesses of people that I would be with. That would witness things like my friend Ken Balos in Richmond, who witnessed the spacecraft fly by when I told him to look up. So we have that accountability. So these things are here. Yeah. But people well, what don't I want to do, believe it. What I want to do with this show, <clears throat> pointedly, is to use the show as a fulcrum to lever things in the dark into the light. And I think one of the things, let's spend the last few minutes, we've got four minutes left to the end of the show. Let's talk about specific, practically, how we can take your video, Wilbur, your live stream video, documenting what's going on over the restricted airspace of the nation's capital, put that on the web, maybe through one of our websites, have people log in randomly, day, night, looking and talking to each other, Bring all the other phenomenology to bear, and Robert, since you have a magazine background, you can help us structure this as a kind of a magazine of the air. Even if you're in Hong Kong, you can be right here on Skype. Sure, sure. And we we basically begin to bring coherence because I'm telling you guys, 2017, it's going to hit the fan. This is the year, symbolically, Egyptian-wise, looking at it from a cat's perspective – (laughs) <laughs> Looking at it from what the White House is doing, I don't think Donald Trump is a kind of a random accident in terms of this larger picture. And I cannot wait to see what happens when he arrives in D.C. on the morning of the first coast-to-coast eclipse in a 100 years that's going to affect the consciousness of an entire nation. And that's going to be part of tomorrow night's show. Wow. Wilbur? You're in DC. I am curious to see what's going to happen. <clears throat> I know I'll be filming in infrared, but here in DC, we're only going to see eighty percent of it, not not the full one hundred. Well, that's that's left. still a lot. That's still the a problem, lot. The problem. The problem. I'm going to be focused on on the side that we can't see. Yeah, guys, oh. the problem is not. It's not a problem. Any part of the eclipse affects human consciousness because right. I've got records. I have Accutron inertial records recorded just a few miles away on the top of the Sandias, showing that in the partial phases. You're not only seeing the effects of the eclipse, but you're seeing the layerings, the mm. hyperdimensional layerings in the sun and within the moon showing mm. up in the data. So anywhere you see a partial eclipse all over the country, it's every state's going to see a partial eclipse. That will affect people's consciousness, given, Robert, your model, that we're not yeah. all just stuck here in 3D. Right. I, I totally you agree. Know, you're also going to be, be able to make – things that are luminous on the lunar surface uh, more visible because I believe that there's lunar activity going on right now, even on the surface that faces the side of the Earth, and that with this eclipse, whatever there, if it has some form of luminosity, it should be visible. Many years ago, during a solar eclipse, I actually got CBS News to fund a project for the CBS labs up in Stanford to let me fly a huge telescope, you know, like a 20-inch telescope. In a uh, 707, a uh, uh, missile tracking aircraft, 40,000 feet over the southeast coast, and to try to record things on the night side of the moon during the eclipse, 
during the eclipse. And uh, wow. we, didn't, we didn't have the technology that was sensitive enough then. We do now. So, yep. Wilbur, I want to thank you for being a part of this second program. Robert, thank, thank you, you all for Hong Kong. We will be doing more thank of you. this. We'll keep everyone informed as to how we progress on the website. And until tomorrow night, remember, everyone, third star on the left, straight on till morning, go outside and look at the Perseids. Good night, everyone. Thank you.